Hey, welcome back to another uh, exciting interview. Uh, the Dollar Menu Mid-Carters present Submission Squad. What the fuck are we doing here? Uh, I am, of course, Jake Petrie. That's Matt Jackson. And on the phone with us is our very special guest, who Matt will now introduce. How you doing, Albert? I'm all right. How are you, Big Daddy? I'm uh, just living the dream here. <laughs> <laughs> we oh, you know what they usually say? that That's not a good thing. Yeah, I was thinking like uh, somebody showed a picture like you're one step away from eating lead when you're just living the dream. <laughs> like, oh my god, living the dream. You can't say living the dream, living my best life, doing me. Those are all signs of man. This is not good. <laughs> well, we, we are living in a global pandemic right now, so maybe it's not all good. How are you holding up? Uh, I'm holding up. I'm holding up okay. I'm doing my best. Like. Things could be better, but, you know, they can always be worse, too. <laughs> right. That's true. I guess we should do a formal introduction in case people should, yeah. We are on the phone here with ACH. Uh, we've been we've been working on putting this interview together for a while. So About we're, two weeks. We're happy to uh, be able to make this happen. Yeah. A uh, little known fact, we share a Crunchyroll account and watch animes. You also share a birthday. We do. No one gives a fuck about my half of yeah, it, Yeah, how terrible was that every year when we would have a show and it would be, like, right around your birthday and everyone, like, the crowd would do happy birthday to you, but not a soul would also know it was Evan's birthday as well. Just, <laughs> and no one gave a shit about it. They would just look at me and be like, oh, you're here too? You can go fuck yourself. I was like, oh, thanks. Appreciate that. I mean, I think I could beat up Justin Bieber if I ever needed to, so I would rather be staged up by him so that if it came to blows, I feel I could win. Fair enough. Oh, man. Listen, I'm not a tough man, but I think I can beat Justin Bieber up. Maybe. I don't know, dude. He's in pretty good shape. I mean, no. Uh, so we're going to dive right into this, Albert. I think everybody wants to know about this particular subject. They've been waiting a while for you to touch on it. Uh, me and you are battles in NBA 2K. How legendary uh, were those battles? Those battles were very legendary. Unfortunately, he used to kick my ass. <laughs> so it's not... <laughs> it's, they were legendary, but unfortunately, I was not like I was not like I was this Hall of Fame player like you are, sir. You... Your, your credentials speak for themselves. I, they were good battles, but you were better than me. We had, some, we had some classic battles, though, that would come down to the very end. Yeah, they did come to the wire, and I always ran with the Spurs. I, I've actually just now broken my record, and I play with the Nets now if I don't run with the Spurs. The current Nets with Durant? Yes. Okay, yes, because yeah. I like Kyrie. I'm, I'm a Kyrie fan. I like Kyrie. Right, yeah, yeah. That's not bad. Like, I... This year's game, I've played mostly with the Pelicans because Alonzo. I've played a little with the Lakers, a little with with the 76ers, but mostly the Pelicans. Oh wow! You don't find you don't find uh, balls his uh, his shot. You don't find that difficult. No, like the game kind of updated where uh, it's not as bad. Like before, yeah, it was difficult to hit shots with him, but now it's not as bad. This year's game was a little bit wonky, like, with updates and stuff, though. It wasn't one of the better ones. 
you know, it's weird because I play with my nephews all the time, and my nephews, they swear by 19. I didn't play 19. I didn't get 19. I got 20. So I love 20. I think 20 is great, but my nephews them hate it. They say that 19 has better defense than 20 does. So, like, if you're smothered on 19, there's a good chance that you will miss it. But if you're smothered on 20, apparently you'll drain it all the time. So I don't know how that works, but I enjoy 20. I think 20 is a good game. Yeah, like, I've liked it. It's just little stuff, like, and it's probably stuff that, like, nobody else really notices or cares about, but it's stuff that I'll look at and go, well, that's kind of weird. Like, for instance, still on the game now, if you go to the Pelicans roster, like, the little headshot, it'll still be, like, Brandon Ingram, his Lakers headshot, and Lonzo Ball, his Lakers headshot. It never updated to, like, current-day headshots, and I kind of find that to be weird. Oh, uh, yeah, they did that with Kyrie. I noticed that he was still in his uh, Celtics uniform. Right, and, like, their, uh, um, what, what, and, like, the rookies, like, all the rookies never updated to having actual headshots or pictures. It's still, like, the computer animated ones. I find that to be weird. Yeah, yeah, I, you know what? Now that you mention it, that is kind of weird. Because I noticed there was a kind of, there was a lot of rookies that didn't have their actual shot. I think it was, uh, one of them was, that stands out to was John Morant. He didn't have his either, which right. I thought was weird because he's like a standout this year. Right, yeah, Zion doesn't have one either. And oh, you, I didn't realize he didn't have one. No. And you would think oh, in the wow. world of downloadable content, that would be kind of easy to fix. Yeah, you would think so. Hmm. But 2K, nah, two, no, two, and 2K <laughs> got raked across the coals with that WWE game that was really bad. Oh, I, I haven't had any issues because I stopped it. Here comes the pain. Here comes the pain. is a great game. <laughs> Never. <laughs> it's, it's, not a, it's, it's just not an enjoyable game. I feel like they try to make it too realistic, and it just bo- and it's just boring. Like I don't want my character running out of stamina. Like shit, I got bad enough cardio already. I don't want my video game character to have bad cardio too. <laughs> I, I know old two okay. old two K made an enemy of life out of Josh Jackson. He got the new WWE game. He hated it. He's bitched about it the whole year since he's had it. He, he, did not, he did not like it at all. It's just not an enjoy. It's it's weird if you've come up in that generation, like Evan said, with like the Here Comes the Pain, SmackDown versus Rawls, and then when you play Twenty, it, it just ah, it's this is it's a real disappointment. It's a big letdown. Well, yeah, I feel there's a couple of different generations of wrestling games. Like you've got like the original Super Nintendo, like the arcade style. Um, WWF Classics, and then you've got the N64 with WCW Revenge, you know, WWF No Mercy is the top two, and then uh, Fire Pro in there for the Japanese audience. And then when it comes to the next gen, it's like that SmackDown sweet set of like, here comes the pain, the other one, SmackDown versus Raw. You know what I mean? And then there's just the 2K. And nobody ever mentions Def Jams. Those were wrestling games, and those were fucking great too. They weren't wrestling games. They were more brawlers. I, I mean, I don't look at them right. as wrestling games. They, they may have had wrestling game mechanics, but I look at them as more as brawlers. Okay. I, I, all right. I would give you that. Speaking of brawlers, uh, have you played... There's this fucking one that I really love that's come out called uh, River City Girls. It's like a brawler RPG combo. It's fucking good. No, I never heard it, man. I haven't. No, I haven't, I haven't had any, like latest news on any i haven't heard any latest news on any video games i'm a little bit out of the loop on that one what is this one 
basically like a like a fucking old school like uh, Final Fight uh, side scroll brawler, and you're these uh-huh. two high school girls, and you got to find your boyfriends. It's basically because back in the Nintendo there used to be. I'm looking at Jackson, and he's stupefied. And on the Nintendo there was a game called River City Ransom, and you were these two dudes. And you had to go save your girlfriend. Well, it's switched, but it's fucking like the mechanics are great. Like one of the girls, you can do like a combo, pop a dude up, jump up after him, hit a hurricane rana. It's fucking awesome. It's good shit. Oh wow! I'll have yeah. to YouTube this. That sounds interesting. I yeah. remember the game River City Ransom. I remember that game on yeah. uh, the original NES. Yeah, this is like a like a fucking super super far down the line sequel. Yeah. Because it's like a Final Fighter. What just came out? Streets of Rage 4 just came out. It's like that. And the, the fucking graphics and animation, fucking great. Mm, the side-scroll beat-em-up. Yeah, I'm a big fan of beat-em-ups. I yeah. thought beat-em-ups were like the greatest thing back in the 90s. Like the Super Double Dragons, the Battle original Toads. Double Dragons, uh, the X-Men games. Oh, like, yeah. I, I love those games. I just love beat-em-ups. Those are my favorites. Yeah, fuck, man. Like, and Capcom just released, like, a little brawl, like, a beat-em-up bundle that I'm probably going to get soon. It's, like, all their shit. Man, fuck. I, I, I agree, yeah. dude. I love beat-em-ups. That was actually probably, I think that was the last thing I bought for my Switch, actually, was that game. It's actually a pretty good game. They actually have Captain Commando, which I never played. Really? I didn't discover who Captain Commando was until okay. I played Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Oh, man, so, I hated I hated him so much in Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Because he kept, like, fucking calling in his friends. I'm like, fight for yourself, you fucking pussy. <laughs> but he's like, oh, I'm calling in the giant baby now. Or the fucking dude who spins. I'm like, you just, just fucking fight me. Yeah, um, one was like, a, I think one was like a mummy. One was like a like a baby in, like, a giant green armored suit or something like yeah. that. And there, was a, there was also a ninja, too, I think, in there, I believe. Okay. Yeah, I think that's right, yeah. I just remember I hated him, and my, my team was Colossus, Doom, and Juggernaut, and I just ran shop. Mm, uh, I was a Gambit, Okay. Ken, and my third usually would go to Captain America or someone else. Uh, I actually like Sun Sun, too, the monkey. Yeah, yeah. I was a fan of the monkey. I liked the monkey, Sun Sun. I thought he was a good character. Never knew where he came from, just thought he was a great character for the game. Uh, Sun Sun and the Cactus were original characters to that game. Oh. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wait, Cactus? Oh, I hate that character. The ca- yeah, fucking Cactus. Then the, the, the main pirate chick. Those three were, like, just made for that game. So, yeah. Sorry, Jackson. Didn't mean to deviate from your basketball talk. Well, hey, you know, we, we, we could go all different places in this interview, but the listeners are going to want to hear us talk about wrestling. All right. So I remember. Hold on. My favorite wrestling game would probably have to be, <laughs> oh, man. You know what? I have to give it to No Mercy, dude. Like, that fucking story mode branched. It was, like, it was a, ahead of its time where, like, you could win or lose matches and the game would adjust accordingly. I thought that was tight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that actually was cool. Yeah, and you could go, like, story modes for each different belt. You know what else was cool? Yeah, tell me. Us fucking with Biss. I remember... <laughs> <laughs> And I remember that was like the first, I think the first time we ever really hung out was we were down there for ACW, I believe it was a Queen of Queens, and we were staying over to go to Six Flags the next day, and we stayed with you and Biss, and I remember us fucking with Biss all night, pretending we didn't know who certain Japanese wrestlers were. And regular wrestlers. 
<laughs> and he was getting really mad. Like we, uh, Gary shit on Bruiser Brody, and it's like, is it, is, he's, like is, he's like, isn't that the guy that changes your oil? And Biss is like, what the fuck? <laughs> he acted like he didn't know who Bruiser Brody was, and Biss got really mad. Yeah, because we were doing a Virtual Pro 2 tournament. Yeah. And Bruiser Brody. Yeah, and me and Gary were just making fun of it the whole time. <laughs> was, it before, was it before the Queens of Queen tournament, or was it before Lone Star Classic? I don't know. Ooh. I don't remember. Yeah. I, I want... If it was in San Antonio, I want to say it was Queens of Queens. Like, I remember that. It was everybody. We had, like, didn't LaMotta like, come over? Palmer, Athena. Yeah, yeah. everybody was there. there. Yeah, it was a gang of us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we just, oh. Uh, yeah, it had to be Queen of Queens because we would never, because it was after a show, and we never stayed over after a show unless if it was Queen of Queens and we were going to Six Flags the next day. Yeah. So it almost had to be. And yeah, because, oh my goodness, we were just, I was just talking about the Six Flag trip with somebody. Oh my goodness. <laughs> those were fun. I remember eating way too many weed brownies once and thought I was going to fucking drop dead in the middle of Six Flags. Because <laughs> I didn't know how strong they were and we like Darren was like, oh yeah, here. So I ate like three full brownies. And they're like, well, how, how much of that brownie did you eat? I go, I ate three of them. He's like, holy fuck, you were only supposed to eat, like, half of one. And I just remember Vega had one of these big refillable Six Flag cups, and I just kept taking it and drank it. I drank, like, six of them throughout the day because I was like, I, oh. stay, I kept going to have to stay hydrated, <laughs> and I keep fucking drinking this thing all day. Well, last thing we need is Big Daddy having an old heat stroke in the middle of Six Flag. <laughs> yeah, drop dead right there. Yeah. Fuck. Call Bugs. Get him over here. <laughs> this guy's got loose in him. Oh, but I think I want to say I think that was the year too. I ended up having a dance off with the old man. Yeah. And, and <laughs> but they sit there in the ringer. They had a they had one old man. They had one guy dressed up as the old man who was just there as the old man. And then they sent in an actual guy that could really dance. And that guy kicked my ass. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I remember that now. Like, yeah. yeah, you wipe the floor with, like, the first two, and then this dude comes in out of nowhere, and he could actually dance really well. Yeah. Bullshit-ass theme parks. <laughs> <laughs> well, whose job is that? Who do they hire in and go, okay, all we need you to do is wait for someone to challenge someone to a dance off, and then you're gonna win. Other than that, though, you just right. Other than that, though, you're just gonna sit here all the time and uh, not do anything. Other than that, you're playing Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> what? So I guess we'll talk about ACW at first. Like, what are some matches from there that really stand out to you? Um, matches that stand out to me. Uh, someone just sent me a match of me and LaMotta from the Long Star Classic. Uh, the first one with LaMotta, definitely. Me, uh, the GBA stuff. A lot of stuff with me and Gary, too. Um, shit. Oh, remember the six-man we had where it was me, Masada, and Showtime versus, uh, you, Gary, and Evan? And Evan gave me a concussion with the suicide dive near the chair shot? Oh, yeah. I'll I'll never... I missed, uh... I missed two days of the shooter because of that match. Because, <laughs> like, I remember, like, we fucking... That match was, like, a legitimate 40-minute fight. Like, that whole that whole match. I remember, uh... We, we peel back the curtain on this episode... On, on this podcast so we can talk about this. I remember the most yeah. about that match that you were gonna bleed for the first time. 
and you take the thing that's supposed to bust you open, so you're down. I have you, and you're not bleeding. I'm like, hey, uh, Albert, you're not bleeding. And you're like, you do it. And I was like, what do you mean, do it? You're like, you just do it. And I was like, son of a bitch. So I end up fucking stabbing you and fucking <laughs> getting color. And then that fucks you later, because fucking Masada, you're supposed to get called from Masada. Well, no, I was fucked earlier in the match, because I'm supposed to get... He does the barbecue skewers, yeah. and the first one, he works for me, and I'm supposed to get blood. Well, I go to get blood, and the fucking razor blade just shoots out, and it goes flying under the ring, so I can't. So he pulls me back up, he goes, hey, you're not bleeding, dude, it's fucking my gimmick. And I finally go, just fucking... <laughs> I go, just fucking do it. And he just started taking those skewers and stabbing the fuck oh. out of me. And finally, I took as many as I could, and finally I just punched him as hard as I could in the stomach. I was like, all right, man, that's fucking enough. And I was bleeding then. And I ended up having to cut Albert later in the match. I remember Gary takes, like, this blind German suplex and, like, <laughs> smashes into a trash can. Like, it, And then we, like, the, we go through all this. Oh, huh? Sorry. What? No, sorry, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. you're fine. What What did you say? No, no, I was saying, wasn't that the match where uh, Showtime told Evan he was going to no sell his chair shot? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, Evan, and Evan cracked him so hard, and he tried to sit there and no sell the chair shot, but he couldn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, there's a, so many stories about that. I remember at one point, me and Masada are brawling into a bathroom yeah. and me and him are the only ones in there and he goes to like throw my head in the toilet and i go hey man there's no one in here i'm not doing it and he goes <laughs> he goes yeah we better get out of here anyway i think scott's out there shooting on gary <laughs> <laughs> but he did yeah because gary fucking blasted him with a chair and like caught him on the side of the head and, was, and uh fucking scott got pissed and like took gary down <laughs> it was like and, and for people who, people who don't know who Scott is, Scott Summers, he's a big fucking dude, big tatted up dude. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he probably out. Yeah, yeah, he probably outweighed Gary by buck fifty as far as weight. And he's got Gary on the ground, fucking choking him, and Gary just was like, "Are you done yet? Can we keep going on with the match?" Like, it, <laughs> there were so many stories, but we go through that fucking thing. And for us at that time, it was a big deal because we actually go over in that match and we go over as, I mean, as clean as you can in a fucking street fight. But that was like the first time Masato was pinned in ACW in over two years. But boy, we, uh, we felt it, man. We had to travel 14 hours home that night. By the time we got home, like I could barely walk. And I ended up, I think I missed actually one day on the shooter we had a Wednesday booking, and I we I couldn't get out of fucking bed. Like it was bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the next time we do work, I remember like you're, we're changing into our gear, and you take your fucking shirt off, and you're just like you've been in a fucking car accident. Oh yeah, my back, <laughs> my back was literally fucking bruises. Like I was fucked. Um, so there are two opponents you have in ACW that stand out to me. I want to touch on each of them. Uh, the first one we'll we'll do is Akira Tozawa. Like you had some really good matches with Tozawa that kind of helped you and him both like break out. Oh yeah, the ten ten ten, the October tenth one. That was a really good one. I was super. Now I remember forget, getting the information 
about that match when this finally told it to me and they put it on the internet and I went <laughs> and I went and sat on the roof for like an hour just kind of like in disbelief that I was wrestling this guy from Japanese because that was the first time I ever wrestled someone from out of the states so I was like super nervous man holy shit oh man <laughs> Yeah, it was really good, and and you end up actually tagging with Tazawa and ACW later, and then you also like we won't jump ahead too far yet, but you end he ends up like helping you out when you go to Dragon Gate USA too, right? Uh, yeah, I did my I did my tryout match with him actually that got me on the show and Gabe Sapolsky gave me sixty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so got sixty seconds, kid, <laughs> make it worth it. So we'll come back to that in a minute, but the other person that comes to mind is uh, you had a match with Chris Hero, and that kind of like changed like your career a little bit. Like, isn't that when you finally made the uh, the decision to move to St. Louis was because of that match? Yeah, because he, me and him had a real long talk at the end, and he just told me pretty much that I wasn't going to be able to do anything while living in Texas. And I remember he, he, he liked the match so much. He was putting me over. He was telling me he would help me out with any way that he could. And I had told him that you had given me the offer to move to St. Louis, and he told me that I should go ahead and do it. He pretty much gave me the green light. He was like, you should do it. So it definitely gave me the motivation to get up and get out of Texas. So, yeah, definitely that match. That, that match is the reason I left Texas, man. Uh, Holy shit. <laughs> so we got to take a quick break so we can save this, and then we will be right back. All right, we are back. You know, we always say we're back, but it's not like we splice a fucking com- <laughs> commercial into there or anything. One day I'll learn fucking editing and put, like, a little jingle in there. <laughs> yeah, ding. We're back. And, and we're back. So you have the match with Chris Hero. And then, yes, you end up moving to St. Louis. You move in with myself and Deborah, And, shit, we lived together for, like, what, three, four years? Um, yeah, about three and a half. Yeah. I was there for, I was there for about three, what, four, four years. And then I think I left, yeah, yeah, what, I left, in, I just talked to someone about this. I left at the end of 2016, or the beginning of 2016. And I moved there at the end of December 2011, yeah. was it, or 12? Yeah, 2000, the end of 2011. Yep. You know, we skipped over how we first met Albert and the first person that well, yelled at Albert. Well, we're going to, I'm okay. going to that now. Uh, so you, I think the first time we ever meet is at an ACW show and you end up being uh, chastised by locker room leader Davey Vega. <laughs> Because <laughs> you wrestled Bravo, right? Yeah, I wrestled JC Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> and Vega gets on you for a frog splash, right? Your frog splash could have been a little bit better. Oh, this <laughs> motherfucker! <laughs> so who knew how times would end up going from there? But yeah, that was the first interaction as Davy Vega. Getting on ACH about his uh, frog splash. Yeah, which was probably one of the best frog splashes <laughs> I ever seen. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. I could, and I was so I was so offended, I couldn't believe it. I was flabbergasted. I was like, the audacity of this guy. Can you tell me my frog splash is bad? I do the lowdown, brother. It ain't your average frog splash. <laughs> <laughs> Like, this guy's over here in a cowboy butt strap me nut shirt. I'm fucking killing it with this lowdown. Oh, that would have been the rook. 
Uh, that so we uh, you end up before you move to St. Louis. Oh shit! Don't is it? You're not living in St. Louis yet, are you? When you take the bus ride from fucking like Austin, Texas, all the way to Chicago? No, I was in say I was in San Antonio living with this, and Josh paid for the ticket from say was San Antonio all the way to Chicago. Yeah, my friend Josh Montgomery, he's the one that paid for the ticket for the tryout for Dragon Gate, and I ended up catching that Greyhound bus, man. That was the longest drive, I've, and I've done a lot of car drives, but that felt like a fucking eternity. <laughs> How long was that one way? Um, About 36. Jesus. Well, because they would make stops and shit too, right? Yeah, we stopped in, like, Oklahoma. We stopped in, like, um, another city outside of Oklahoma, somewhere outside of Missouri. We stopped in St. Louis, and then we went on to Chicago. Holy shit. So you have to, you sit on this bus, you get off the bus, you have you have a tryout match with, with Akira Tozawa, and then yet you end up getting on the event, as you said, you were in a multi-man, right, where you got about 60 seconds worth of stuff in? Yeah, it was a the classic drag. It was a classic Dragon Gate fray that Gabe used to always do. It was like Flip Kendrick, Cedric Alexander, Silas Young, myself. Uh, I think Sugar Duckington was in it, um, and I feel like it was someone else too. And this was actually uh, Brody Lee's last Dragon Gate uh, tour, his little last uh, shows with Dragon Gate before he got signed to WWE. Huh. Yeah, yeah, and then this was actually uh, Fred Ye, or not Fred Ye, I'm sorry, uh, wrong one, uh, U-Haw's, um his debut, huh. the u Nation, that was when he debuted, because I think he debuted in like Milwaukee, and then the next day, they put him on the show against Brody Lee, and he got the push at Gabe's show. Okay. So for people to wrap their heads around that, that's 36 hours on a bus, one way, for an opportunity to get 60 seconds worth of stuff in like that's kind of like because what, what a lot of people might not understand that maybe haven't followed your whole career like you've been doing this quite a long time like the business back then was way different than now there weren't really gifts there weren't like twitter wasn't a big thing not much so, like, on youtube so stuff like this was how you got opportunities and sitting on a bus for 36 hours to get put in a scramble to show what you could do was kind of the way things were done back then yeah and and i don't want to skip too far ahead but that actually that right there like echoed throughout my entire wrestling career because that little mat like that little 60 seconds opened the floodgates for a lot of things for me yeah, that's when you start finding out, like, if you were to move here, you know, you had a lot of opportunities already on the table through places like AAW and, like, other places that maybe have seen this 60 seconds. So you knew that you would probably get work if you did move up here. So you end up moving up here, and then you start getting work pretty quick, right? Like, as we start going up to AIW... Pretty quick after you moved here. Yeah, because we do a six-man, well, right? Well, before, remember, though, before I moved up there, I went and I spent, uh, we did the uh, the AIW tournament, and I wrestled Gary on the pre-show. Oh, yeah, right, yeah, you did a, you stayed for like a week, if I remember, you yeah. came home and then stayed with me for a week, and yeah, we went and did AIW, and then we had Anarchy, didn't we, or... 
Yeah, we had St. Louis Anarchy, and then we also had AIW, and I ended up driving back with Aaron and Rachel, a Texas carload. Right, yeah, that made, yeah, I do remember that. Because, yeah, you and Gary were on their pre-show, and it was like a St. Louis Anarchy, like, showcase match or something. Something weird. <laughs> that, you know what's funny? I uploaded that match on YouTube. That match is on YouTube right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you and Gary had tons of matches, like, you know, not really early, early in your careers, but kind of that midway point where people are starting to learn how to really work and really tear the house down. Like, you and him, shit, you probably wrestled each other in that length of time more than anybody else. I was married to Gary for at least a year and a half around that time. Like right. 2009 and 10. I was, I was married to Gary for a while. I remember me and Gary would sit there and we'd just look at each other and we'd be like, we're wrestling again. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we wrestled. I was married to him for quite a bit because we did the AIW show and then we would work each other at uh, in Texas at ACW. Then we would wrestle at St. Louis. Um, so yeah, me and him worked each other quite a bit. Right. The ones that come to mind for me are you did the TLC at Circus Maximus. Uh, you did the main event of G of uh, Guilty by Association, which that was a good little angle. Like he stole the belt from you, which we'll actually get to that story in a second because that's a really good story. Uh, where he steals the belt from you, then you actually wrestle me, and then like put me in the submission, and you're gonna fucking like break my back or something unless Gary will accept the match for. Uh, Guilty by association, so he does, and you guys have the main event, and you beat him. That was a really good story arc, but it's almost ruined by WWE <laughs> legendary tag team, the Nasty Boys, which I'll tell that story real quick. So the Nasty Boys, me and Evan are told that the and Nasty Boys are going to beat us up on the show. They're supposed to show up. We're supposed to do something with them. So there's no Nasty Boys. And Evan has to wrestle Fitchett in the Lone Star Classic. So as it's almost time for him to wrestle. It's like a fucking movie. We look out, because the way the locker room's set up at the Mohawk is you're kind of up on like an outside patio so you can see down into the street. And we look outside, and walking down fucking Red River, in their gear, is the fucking Nasty Boys. And, I, and I'm like, okay, so I guess they're going to show up. So, but Evan's up now, and this is when all this is supposed to happen. So we go downstairs. The fucking nasty boys are there, <laughs> and I go, I, <laughs> I go up the Jerry. Sa no, I go up the Brian Knobs. I go, hello, sir, N Matt. Nice to meet. You. I go, hey, I think we're supposed to be doing something to with with you guys. Like, are we doing that? Because I, I'm trying to figure out what we're doing. Motherfucker looks right at me and goes, kayfabe. What the fuck? Like, motherfucker, you're in the locker room. Like, who, who, there's no fans back here. But he never answers me. He never answers me. So out we go. I'm managing Evan. I, as he's in the ring fucking working Fitchett, um, what's, what's... Barry Breeze? No, it's uh the 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 midget, um, Stan Summers. Oh, Stan. Yeah. So like, Stan Summers comes out, tugs on my fucking pants, and goes... The nasty boys, they're going to come out and uh, no bumps, just powder out. Okay, cool. I keep managing. Here he comes again. Hey, they're going to pop you once, just bump and powder out. Okay, cool. 
So I'm supposed to cut a promo talking about we're the best tag team. And when I say we're better than Nasty Boys, they come out as a big surprise. Which would have been super fucking cool. Because you would never expect that they actually are going to come out. Right. So I cut this <laughs> promo. Nothing. They don't come out. I keep talking. They don't come out. Finally, I look up. The motherfuckers are looking at me from the balcony. They're not coming out. They're drinking. They're drinking, looking at us, and now the whole crowd sees them. So surprise is ruined. Yeah. They're up on the fucking balcony. So finally, I say some kind of line like, oh, Brian Knobs, the only fucking thing you've ever done in this business is pack Hulk Hogan's kid's lunch. That finally gets them to come out. And That's I, a great line. And I figure, all right, they're going to pop us once. We're going to powder out. Fucking Jerry Sags comes in with a steel chair and swings that fucker at my head as hard as as hard as he could swing it. Thank God I get my arm up because he would have fucking killed me. He just destroys my fucking arm with this chair. They barely touch Evan, give him the pity city, and he powders out. I storm to the fucking back and I t- I go up to Darren. I go, Darren. If that was anyone other than Jerry Sags, I was gonna, I'd beat that motherfucker's ass. I was so mad. Dude, they pretty much held the show for hostage. I never yeah. forget, it was before one of my matches, and I'm sitting in the gorilla at ACW, and this is before what it was now. So you remember we used to have to go through the bar, and then there used to be that little door, yep. the little oh. hallway entranceway you used to go through. Yeah, with the my bathroom off to the side? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my music's playing, and I'm getting ready, and I know my cue. I was coming out to the show goes on, and I usually come out a little bit early, and Jerry Sachs, he grabs me, goes, come here, kid. And he proceeds to give me this, like, 15-minute fucking talk. <laughs> and it's funny because I learned a very valuable lesson about the business that day. He goes, you got to make them wait for you, kid. Make them want you. <laughs> so my interest in music is just playing constantly. And then people are just sitting there, like, clapping, like, hey, see, to the point where they just stop clapping because they're like, where the hell is he? He's not coming out. So then I walk out with Jerry Sags. No reaction. My reaction, my pop dies down. He comes comes out with a beer he's drunk off his ass he's got his arm around me he's like see kid i just made you a star today <laughs> yeah you're the most at this time you're the most over fucking wrestler in the state of texas and jerry sags made you uh-huh. that night remember they were throwing beers and shit across the building like it was getting pretty bad like they got out of hand like it was getting bad uh, i don't want to spend too much time talking about the fucking nasty boys but the two more quick bullet points Poor Ricky. Well, that's what I'm getting to okay. is uh, first you like remember like they're shit house drunk. Yeah. Uh, now we've done a segment with them. They don't remember. Yeah. And they're looking at you. Uh, he says something, and then he goes, "Well, you know, you're a wrestler." And then you go, well, "I don't know if I'd call what I do wrestling as a joke." And fucking Brian Knobs leans in and goes, "If you ever say that again, I'll fucking floor you." Yeah. <laughs> And to put a bow on this, like, they were shitty people that day. Uh, Ricky Rabita, and I don't remember who else was in his car, they're taking them back to the hotel. Yep. And the Nasty Boys are like, hey, we want, you know, we appreciate you taking us back to the hotel. Go through this Taco Bell drive through We'll get food. And they go through the drive through The Nasty Boys order all the food. They order food. They get up to the window, you know, time to pay. And the fucking Nasty Boys go, well, pay the fucking person. And didn't pay for it their wasn't, food. Didn't he 
even said, and I believe he said that he would cover the bill too. Yeah, he did. Off. Yeah, he said he said he was going <laughs> to buy them food for taking them back to the hotel. They order all the food, and the motherfucker don't cover the bill. <sighs> Nasty. Pro wrestling got its best. That was a glimpse into the eighties, right there. That's oh. what that was. Yeah. <laughs> Fun side story. The next day, the reason they're in town because it's like a comic con or something. Yeah. We go to it, and we have to avoid them because they like we just don't want to be seen with them. Biss and I go try to meet Ted DiBiase, and uh, and he snubs us. And then Biss is like, he fi- Biss finally convinces him to get a picture, and then he's like, "Do you want one, kid?" I'm like, "I'd rather not." And I just walk away. <laughs> and I'm not like, I'm like, dude, like Biss really wanted it. I liked Ted DiBiase for a long time, but Biss was a big DiBiase mark. Still might be. I don't know. I think Biss is dead right now. But. Uh, <laughs> But like Biss, you could tell Biss really wanted this picture, yeah. and fucking Ted was just being such a fucking ass about it. They still had a great bump and feed though. <laughs> you know what? Can't take that away from him. He could fucking light me on fire, and I'd his bump and feed was still immaculate. And Sags and Knobs made a hell of a bologna and fucking mustard sandwich. All right. So, so, so now you're living in St. Louis. Uh, you do the AIW match against Gary. Um, we actually have a really fun six-man tag of myself, Evan and Gary versus you, Vega, Fitchett. That was like another St. Louis Anarchy showcase match. For some reason, they kept billing our matches as uh, St. Louis Anarchy showcases. I think they were embarrassed. Are you talking, oh, is that the one where the, the famous picture where uh, Vega and Fitchett are carrying me out, but Vega's like soaking up to the crowd? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. we get the please come back chant. And you're injured, and they're carrying you to the back. And Vega lets go of you to like fire up at the crowd. <laughs> Get that return date, brother. And, and then from there, we're kind of brought back to AIW on a regular basis. But me and Evan kind of flounder in the tag division. Uh, Gary ends up pretty much just being our manager. But you get pushed pretty big. And uh, I remember your, I think. One of your biggest matches there, or your first big match there, is the Iron Man with A.R. Fox. See, we didn't, you know what, and before I even moved, man, I have so much history with A.R. Fox, it's ridiculous. He was, he was actually my first match outside of Texas, my first singles match outside of Texas, because remember, I, or not first singles match outside of Texas, I'm sorry, remember I wrestled him at Beyond. Yeah. And remember, and do you, okay, do you, okay, this is a little side story, I'm sorry I digress. No, that's fine. When that match got released, and I did the stunners, and someone shitted on it, and your brother <laughs> went to Facebook and, and stuck up for me for no selling the move. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I'm not going to disclose who the wrestler was, because I remember who the wrestler was that shitted on it, but your brother put them in their place. <laughs> you know what? I don't remember. We'll have to talk about it on break. I don't remember who the wrestler was that shit on it, but I do remember him going on there and tearing him apart. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, that match got a lot of press for you. Yeah. Dude, that match, um, holy shit. Yeah, and that's when the DVD market was really big. And I never forget, a lot of people came up to me and was just putting that match over so big. And I remember the lazy me was trying to get out of doing 30 minutes. I was like, can we just kayfabe the 30 minutes? And John Thorne was like, no, people are actually going to pay attention to that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the first time, too, I had wrestled someone like A.R. Fox who had, like, just this, like... 
this difference, he just had a completely different style than anyone else. He was just so reckless and careless about things that he did. Like, he was down to do whatever. I remember I would call something, and he'd be like, yeah, that's cool. And I'm like, dude, but you can die. No, no, it's all right, man. All you got to do is just, like, protect me on this and, like, that. Just give me a body. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, man, it's cool. <laughs> he didn't give no shits, man. That was one of the reasons why I always enjoyed working with Fox. He didn't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, he, I remember he would, like, warm up. He'd do a springboard, like flip type deal and just bump real fucking hard as like a warm up and I'm like man that's how you warm up shit like I uh, so you do that with him that was a that was a big match and then you kind of then go right into AAW right no from there no it was quite a bit it was quite a while before I actually got to AAW because I want to say I was with ROH before I got with AAW really wow I yeah. huh yeah I want to say I was with because I signed in 2013 and I think I started at AAW maybe a little bit after that hmm because I got in with I would have to look that up I got in with Fitchett and Rook who were driving to, we were all driving to AIW, and they, <laughs> holy shit, this story. So, uh, I'm sitting down, and I'm watching them set up the ring. Eric Cannon's there, and Aaron, Eric comes up to me, and he's like, hey, are you on? And I was like, no, I'm not on. He's like, why not? And I was like, oh, I, I just don't know. So, Danny walks by, and I had already introduced myself to Danny, and of course, I introduced myself as Albert, because, I mean, who introduces themselves as their ring name? I mean, that's fucking weird to me. And so... He goes, hey, Danny. And Danny's like, what? He's like, are you going to put my boy on? He goes, who's your boy? He goes, he goes, ACH. That's ACH? And I was, he was like, yeah, that's ACH. And he goes, why didn't he tell me? Because I'm pretty sure his mom didn't call him ACH when he was born. <laughs> 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 and, that's how I, and that's how I got on AAW was, yeah, just being there. <laughs> just showed up. God bless Grandpa Cannon. <laughs> Thanks to Eric Kenny, yeah. So, yeah, that was how I got on there. I, I have to look that up. I want to say I was... Because I did... I did ROH in Chicago um, when I wrestled... Uh, what did I do? I think I wrestled Kyle O'Reilly in Chicago, but I wasn't signed yet. And remember, I was still working at Target. Yep. And, and I remember me and you talked about it, and I was like, I don't think I left an impression, because at the time, Jim Cornette was in charge, and I didn't think I, didn't think I left an impression on Jim Cornette. But then days later, after I, after I had already did that show, I think it was like a few weeks later, they announced that Jim Cornette had got fired, because I think at that Chicago show, he blew up on somebody, and that was the last straw. And then they announced Hunter as the promoter, or as the booker, and then a few days after they did that, he contacted me and he offered me my contract. Huh. Yeah, see, I didn't know that. I, well, I knew all that. I didn't know that, that you hadn't really been at AAW yet. I do remember everything happened real fast. Like, it was like you you debuted at a shit ton of places, like, right there together, and then you ended up getting signed to ROH. I yeah, I remember that. fuck Cause I did, cause around that time, man, I was doing like CC. Well, I was, I don't know if I debuted for a lot of places. I mean, I had my main places. I mean, I was doing Anarchy still. I was doing uh, St. Louis Anarchy. I had added AIW. And then I think I did CZW a few couple of times. Um, and then I did Shakara too. I did Shakara too. Yeah. So, yeah. but I, but at that time, I mean, 
shit, I was the only guy other than Generico that was working Dragon Gate, Shakara, CZW, and ROH at a time where nobody was allowed to. Right, yeah, I remember that. Um, so I guess we'll, we'll backtrack a small tick and talk about your debut at Anarchy. I know our fans will want to hear about that. Your debut, was all, it, was, it was in a six-man as well, a six-man scramble. Uh, like with uh, St. Louis Anarchy? Yeah. What was that? Was Lamada? I want to say Gary was in it. Cannon, uh, Vega, and Akira Tazawa, right? Nope. No, that that you're that was the main event of like our third show. Is that Tiger Blood? Yeah, I think your debut. I don't remember everyone in it. It was I do. You, Corbin, Shane, Shane Hollister, Tony Kazina, Billy McNeil. And yeah. Lamada, because it was for Lamada's belts. Yeah. Or no, it was for your belt. One of you had a belt, and that was the match. Yeah. I think I was U30 champion at the time. There right. Yeah. And you always would tell the story about you did your entrance, and when you got in the ring, someone said, like, I hope you can wrestle as good as you can talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, the old white man told me that. Yeah, <laughs> you can wrestle as good as you can talk. <laughs> And after that, I was petrified. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, oh. I'm trying to think, like, so what kind of matches from those Anarchy days stick out? Well, from St. Louis Anarchy or from Texas Anarchy? St. Louis Anarchy. <sighs> Holy shit, those were days. That The, the match with Tozawa, the me and Gary TLC match, um... I'm trying to think, what was the venue where you guys met the hobo and you let the hobo come in and work for a little bit? Like you guys <laughs> the hooligans. The hooligans let that happen. <laughs> that was, uh, O'Fallon was that venue. Oh, man. I'm trying to think of some matches from that venue. Because I remember, for some odd reason, I don't remember a lot of my matches, but I remember a lot of other people's matches. Like, I remember Vega wrestled Darren there for the... For, in that uh, hardcore match, right? And yeah. he had to do the bob wire. Yeah. Oh, me and Davey, me and Davey Richards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you had a couple with Davey. Like, you credit Davey for a lot of, like, helping you learn the work, right? Oh, yeah, for sure, definitely. I mean, he, that was an eye-opener, too, because that was the show uh, Darren didn't want me to go under, but he was the fucking world, he was, what, ROH world champion at the time, right? No, I don't think he was the world champion, but he was on his way to the title. And, yeah, Darren didn't want you to lose... And, like, it was a big mess because <laughs> Darren got all pissed off about it. And, like, Davey wasn't really happy to put you over in that. It was a, it was a mess. And then Darren wanted me to fire Davey afterwards, which I wouldn't do. And it, But you have more with him after that, too. Like, I remember one you had. I don't remember the actual show, but by this time we're in Spalding Hall. And I remember you guys, like, fucking tore it up. Because around that, I think around, I think Spalding Hall around that time, I had already kind of like gotten comfortable around him. I kind of knew, I kind of knew what to expect from Davey. But that first time, oh, I was terrified. Oh, I was fucking terrified. I was scared out of my mind because he did what Davey likes to do. You know, Davey lives about 30 minutes late, but he shows up at least four hours into the show. And, <laughs> and I never forget, I didn't have no ideas. I was scared because I didn't know what he wanted to do. And I mean, he was super cool when it came to calling the match and everything. But at that time, he showed me there was a huge difference between being an indie wrestler and being the best in the world. Right. 
And boy, did he fucking prove it. And then there was also me and TJ, too. That was a good one. And me and Wyatt. Me and Wyatt was really good, too, because Wyatt is the reason why I got into Kansas for Metro Pro, because you booked me and him, and then we tore the house down, and then we did it twice in Kansas because he put it over to Chris. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah, the TJP, uh, that match sticks out to me as well. The, that was in Granite City. Mm-hmm. People, that was in Granite? Yeah, yeah, that was at River's Edge in Granite City. Like, Because people may not realize, you were around in Anarchy from the very beginning, like St. Louis Anarchy, so you had to... You lived with us through trying to find a fucking uh, venue. So we hopped around a lot before we were able to settle in the Spalding Hall. Uh, I remember you all, you had a two out of three falls with TJ Perkins in Spalding Hall that was really good. Wow, I don't even remember that. Really? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Really good. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't even remember. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. I mean, at one wow. time, like, I always look back at the Anarchy days where... You know, we had Davey Richards, Kyle O'Reilly, you, Michael Elgin, all four signed like the Ring of Honor that all four lived in St. Louis. <laughs> and we were able to book these guys that were local, but, you know, we're big names. And we were all willing to work, too. It's not it's not like it was one of those things where it was like, ah, we'll just do it because it's nearby. Like, everybody came willing to work and wanted to work. Like, right. Well, I we, told... We didn't just- I told this story on our Patreon podcast, and I will we won't, we'll tell it here only because I want to put you over in this. And we're not telling I'm not telling this story to shit on this guy at all, but it is a story that happened, and I told it for our Patreon members, and I'll, I'll tell it on here. And it was like a big thing I always gave you credit for, and I don't know if we've ever even talked about it, but when we booked Cedric Alexander and Trevor Lee, and you were working with Alexander. And you and Alexander tore it up, and Trevor Lee kind of, like, he's a good dude, fantastic worker, but he kind of was going to phone that fucking performance in. (laughs) And you went to him and said, like, hey, this is a really good place, like, you need to fucking work hard. And then he ended up working hard. And, like, a lot of those are the reasons why people looked at Anarchy as, like, okay, this is a legitimate place, not because of anything I was doing, but because, like, the fucking guys, like, as they started getting bigger names, would tell other people, like, hey, this is a fucking place you should be taking seriously. Yeah, it wasn't no Bush League, man. I always respect the St. Louis Anarchy for everything that it had done for me. So, like, whenever guys would come in and I would notice that if they weren't going to take it serious, I would always pull them to the side, like, hey, this is... This ain't the place to do that. One, it's it's a good show. The crowd is good. And it was always a good house. Secondly, I know you weren't going to let that shit pass, too. So I, <laughs> I just always would give people the little nuts. Like, maybe not pull that on this one. Yeah. <laughs> maybe do that shit down the street, but not here. <laughs> All righty. We're going to take a quick break, and then we will be right back. I've been hitting the head a couple of times. I don't remember a lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I just found that uh, fucking clip of... Masada and Summers beating the shit out of me with those big bands. <laughs> Fuck. Those were like fucking industrial sheets. Um, I want to go back because weren't you Santa at one Metro show? Or didn't you get jumped by Santa? Adam Pierce was Santa and he gave me a basketball. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, didn't, that, I remember that being a good match. Uh, okay. I just remember yeah, I you remember and Santa I- doing something. I was like, Fuck, what was it? That was me and Pierce. I remember I drop kicked him in the face, and he receded me, and I, that was the first time I felt a real receipt in my entire life. 
So you do, you're doing Anarchy, uh, you're doing Metro, you're doing AIW, but pretty quickly you end up getting signed to Ring of Honor. So I remember the day you got offered the contract. I was actually, I, I don't know what the hell I was doing at the time, but for some reason I was fucking asleep when you came home and realized you had gotten signed because Deborah woke me up. I was like, oh, Albert wants to tell you something. I think maybe I was working overnight at the time or something. Probably a little bit of motherfucking cocaine. Well, I, I was I was pretty fucked up during the day. So I'm liable to have just been pilled up and slept all day. That's also another option that might have happened. No, I think you were at Lowe's because I think I remember prank calling people alongside I think you. I was at Lowe's yeah. at this time. But you end up getting signed the Ring of Honor. Like, how how did that feel like getting like offered the contract? That was my first contract, and honestly, I felt like I accomplished. I felt like I accomplished something. Like it made the move to St. Louis mean something to me, because of course you do a lot of things in wrestling to gain some type of like you know what I mean momentum, and you do a lot. You do a lot of shit. So you sacrifice a lot of things to gain something. So the fact that I sacrificed a lot and moved and took that risk and moved to St. Louis and actually got paid off with a contract, like I felt accomplished, like not accomplished to the point where I got lazy and I didn't want to do anything anymore, but I felt accomplished, like, oh, wow, like hard work really pays off. Like that was the first time in my life I realized that that was something that actually happened, like hard work does pay off. Like I felt great about it. I was excited, man. I loved it. I loved the fact that I was able to like make a financial, you know, a financial living off of wrestling for the first time in my entire career. So like I was excited about that. I was excited too cuz when Albert signed that contract what would happen is when he'd do the Ring of Honor loops he'd come home and then me and De- he would take me and Deborah to the Golden Corral when he'd get home on Sunday. <laughs> so uh I I benefited. It was almost like I was under ROH contract except my pay came in the form of Golden Corral after oh, every loop. All you could eat mediocre steak. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Don't you shit on Golden Corral. <laughs> that is God's place. Yeah, we, we went there after almost every loop. Uh, we would go to Golden Corral. Sometimes the racist people at the register wouldn't believe Albert was paying for me and <laughs> But overall, it was a fine experience. <laughs> oh, man. The people in St. Louis, man, they are... The people in St. Louis, man, they are they are pretty special. They're pretty mad. I remember, the, I was just talking to you about this, and the guy at the uh, at the steak, and the lady's like, "So, how would you like your steak, sir?" Done. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't even waste any time. I was like, "Good God, man!" Like, <laughs> all right, I get it. All right. <laughs> yeah, we had definitely had some experience. There's all kinds of shit that would happen here. We got a huge snowstorm, and then me and Albert had to like fucking dress in all these layers and walk to the schnooks to get food that we had no food in the house <laughs> oh my goodness i remember my first time also too hearing the tornado alarm i was like scared out of my mind because i had no idea what the hell those sirens were the, the the tornado sirens yeah oh my goodness st louis oh my god <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, man i used to walk I remember there was days where, like, if Deborah couldn't take me to work or, like, Vega couldn't take me, I used to have to walk, like, 3 a.m. in the morning all the way to Target. And I mean, I don't, I don't know if people used to think I was bullshitting when I tell them that story. But I was like, yeah, I used to have to walk in the morning sometimes, like, 3 in the morning. Like, I remember cops would stop me sometimes. Where are you going? 
poor yeah. work, officer. <laughs> as hard as it is to believe. <laughs> I, I remember those uh, those days of you working at Target. And then the uh, restaurant you worked at for a bit. Gary stole your shirt, your work shirt. He still wears it. Fraley's? Yeah, Gary still wears that Fraley's shirt. He also stole my Scott Summer shirt, too, and I want that back. I told him that when I saw him. <laughs> He's had that shirt for over five years. I want my shirt back. <laughs> He's actually got it framed with a plaque that says, Never again for Albert. <laughs> I believe it. Our few never ends. So you, you signed the Ring of Honor. So when you start there, is it welcoming at first, or is it difficult for you like right from the beginning? So... It was a little bit of, it was a mixture of both, because at the time I came in as an internet darling, and I think the the mindset there was like, you got to pay your dues, like you're the new guy, and like, I had new guy heat from what everyone was telling me, but this shit was not like normal new guy heat, like I get like a little fucking locker room hazing, or like joking around every once in a while, but like the shit that they used to like do, I didn't under, like I didn't understand. For one, I was a, I was like, I felt like an outsider because I didn't have a lot of things in common with a lot of them. Like, you know, those were like, like, you know, at the time I was really immature. I won't even lie about that. So I was into different things like video games, and anime, cartoons and shit like that. And I had never been in a real wrestling like locker room like that before. And so I, I automatically felt like an outsider. And then with me being the internet darling, like I had to prove myself a lot constantly. And and every and it just seemed like everything that I did, like I just I just I, everything I did was wrong almost in a sense. Like at the Chicago show when I uh, when we did the six man and I and I went over on QT Marshall with the uh, imploder DDT, which I got from JT Lamato, who was like, you can use it because I was like, I don't know what to do. And this was before I had started using the 450 as a finisher. So I did the DDT. I come backstage. The first person that I see is Steen. And Steen is just, he just, he just, like, legit just tears me a new one. What are you doing? How can you do, you, you watch the product, that, that's lethal's move, blah, blah, blah. How can you, and then I was just sitting there like, what the fuck? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know he did it anymore. And he's like, he does it in the opening credits. Now, mind you, Lethal comes up, and then Lethal's just like, oh, yeah, it's not a big deal, man. Like, it's not a problem. So I didn't think it was not a problem. But then you hear, like, oh, yeah, they're all burying you. Like, you would hear people talking about you, like, burying you, say ACH just still moves, which I thought was weird because everybody at that time literally almost had identical movesets in ROH. I mean, there was some things that people did that set them apart from other people, but, like, super kicks and, like, other shit, like, they all, like, when I got there, I think my role was to be the high flyer because that's what they saw me as, as the high flyer. And in my whole entire career, I've always argued with that. Like, I'm not a high flyer. I'm just a fucking professional wrestler. I'm a wrestler. Don't label me a high flyer, a brawler, whatever. I just wrestle. That's what I like to do. And I think that's what the role was for me there. And when I felt when I did other things outside of that, I kind of felt like, it was kind of like, no, that's not what you do. And then, you know, once I started doing more, because I, I, wasn't, I wasn't a big diver before I got to ROH. I didn't start diving and doing 450s and all the acrobat shit, really, until I got to ROH. 
And then they they took away a lot of stuff. Like uh, Hunter didn't like the the Luke Kane, uh, not the Luke Kane kicks. He didn't like the Hadouken that I was doing at the time. Um, he didn't like. I don't think he. I think he didn't like the Luke Kane kicks. Um, so like, yeah, it was it was a lot of mixed reactions, man. And I was walking on eggshells. I was nervous a lot of the times because I just didn't want to piss anybody off. And I mean, a lot of people were cool. A lot of people talked to me. But it just seemed like every time I turned around, I was always doing something wrong or pissing someone off or catching heat for something. You know what I mean? Like, I remember. Yeah, just, what's up? Didn't they used to say that ACH stood for always catching heat? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, honestly, man, I don't. I, like, I get that I was immature and I didn't adapt very well to the pro wrestling business of things like the business side of wrestling. Cause I was just, so I was, I was young, man. Like I was, I was basically a kid in the business. I think at the time when I got to ROH, I was maybe like seven, eight years into the business. And now I'm around all these guys that are like tenured and fucking 12, 13, 15 years in the business. And I just think the way that I got signed, I don't think a lot of people liked it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just kind of came up out of nowhere. You know, I, like, a lot of people say I'm, like, one of the last internet darlings around that time where guys were getting big off of internet matches. Now it's gifts, but around that time, I was, like, the last internet darling. You know what I mean? And I think the way that I came in, I didn't have, like, a lot of momentum or nothing, but just the way that I was offered a contract, I didn't have to do no, like, tryout matches. I didn't have to do any, like seminars and nothing like that i felt like a lot of people probably thought things were just handed to me so you know i had to work even harder you know what i mean and and at that time i cared a lot about what people say i'm not gonna lie i cared a lot about what people say because i wanted people not to like me i just wanted to be accepted you know what i mean by my peers because all i know is team sports because when i was younger i played team sports and i always looked at wrestling as a team collective thing as like if we all work together something special can happen you know what i mean like that's how i always looked at it but the business side of things it's not always like that you know no. when you see someone come in most guys usually get offended and they're probably like who the fuck is this guy like he ain't gonna take my spot or something like that you know what i'm saying not saying that i was i was on course to taking someone's spot but I feel like a lot of people thought that I was handed things and they were probably just kind of like, who the fuck is this guy? You know what I mean? Right. Well, and a lot of times in wrestling, too, it, it's it's weird. Like, wrestling's uh, a lot of, like, the old school guys would always say, like, wrestling's a grown man's business. But at the same time, those grown men, when they see, like, a hot up-and-comer coming in, get worried about their spots and then that's when the jealousy sets in and things like that like your early ring of honor run i i can easily comment on it as a fan like as a wrestler as someone who just watched wrestling and i watched ring of honor especially when you got signed and early ring of honor like that was my shit i own like i probably own over a hundred fucking ring of honor dvds from their first like when they first started yeah, I've helped you move them about three times. <laughs> and, <laughs> I used to tell people, I used to tell people, I think Matt owns every ROH show ever that, that ever existed. Well, in the, <laughs> in the early days, I did, because I loved Ring of Honor. But, and, and I remember when Hunter got that job. Uh, we were in Texas, he was on ACW, and 
me and him talked at a fucking uh, IHOP, and I was talking, like, oh, so what, you know, that's really cool. What are you going to do? And he talked about, like, the school and how he was going to utilize students more. But I thought, my opinion, was that you were booked terribly <laughs> in Ring of Honor. Like, you're right. Like, you had a name on the indies coming in, and they immediately tagged you with Tadarius Thomas for no real reason. Oh, you, 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 you. <laughs> <laughs> well, for no real reason. Oh, there's a reason. <laughs> um, and then they like, I thought for a minute, like, okay, they're gonna start doing some shit with you because you did have some really big singles, man. Like you worked AJ Styles, you worked Samoa Joe, and I was like, eventually, they're gonna put him over on one of these guys because then they'll make him. And it just doesn't seem like that ever happened. It, it rem- like his run reminds me of one of his matches that were that we probably won't ever talk about. But I remember so distinctly because I was so mad. Do you remember? Do you remember wrestling Davy Boy Smith Jr. for Resistance? Resistance Pro. And, and for Chicago. Yeah. Oh my god. Like I. <laughs> oh my god. Because like here's the here's like the truth, and I'm not like. Fucking, but like I was, I'm always a fan of your wrestling, and like I was excited to watch that match, and then I watched the match because we're also on the show, and like what the fuck? And on the way home, you're just like, yeah, you just told me I had to do drop kicks. That's all my offense was fucking drop kicks. <laughs> Everything I'd pitch, you'd be like, no, do a drop kick, and I'm like, ah, oh, that's just fucking shitty. And I'm sure he's a nicer person now or whatever, but that's what ring your Ring of Honor run reminded me of. Every time you'd come for something, like just hit a drop kick, fuck it. Because I was so on edge as far as, like, being nervous about what moves to do and what moves not to do. It completely took me out of my – it completely just took me out of the zone because I, I did like, I had to repackage myself almost in a sense. I had to refine myself because I didn't know what – I didn't know what I could and could not do. Of course, you couldn't do backbreakers because if you did backbreakers, you would hear it from Roddy. And you know what I mean? So it's like, shit. And, and that's not me, like, taking a dig at Roddy or nothing, but uh, you just use an example. And then, you know, around that time, the Bucks were getting hot. So you were like, fuck, you don't want to throw super kicks. You know what I mean? Because, you know, that's their thing. And they were getting that, they were getting that over huge. Um, so it was just, it was real tough for me. I didn't know what to do. I was trying to be different, trying to stand out. Um I wasn't focused, and that's, it's crazy, my entire time, I wasn't even really focused on the character aspect. When I was at ROH, I was mostly concerned about moves, because I was always worried about not getting heat. And also, too, with me and Tadarius, we both came in, and this is just how the wrestling, this is this was a learning lesson for me, too. Me and Tadarius both came into ROH thinking we are going to be singles wrestlers. And then one day, someone's like, nah, you two are tagging. So there would be times when me and him would be putting matches together and people are like, what do y'all do as a tag team? And we're like, yo, we just started tagging like three weeks ago. We don't know what we do as a tag team. And we didn't have, we, like, we were totally complete opposite guys when it came to wrestling. Like, he was coming from a fighter's background and I was coming from an independent background of professional wrestling. So our opinions on wrestling were different and we were to- being told completely different things by people. So when we would go and put things on the table, it just didn't line up for us like I mean even coming up with a name was difficult because we just were totally two different people adrenaline rush like that's that name is terrible like 
that's god awful. And, I mean, shit. What, what do you want to call it? Team Captain Feather or something like that originally. But yeah, dude, we were just all, we just never. Tadarius is a really good guy. I love Tadarius, and I really wanted to see him fuck some people up in the locker room, but he never did. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, me and him were just complete opposites, and we just didn't mesh. And we tried our best, and I mean, we tagged for a while. But, like, it just sucked because we never had any ideas. And I was in my own head because I was trying to figure out constantly, like, what can I do? What can I not do? You know what I mean? Like, I never really I never really concerned myself with, like, the wins and the losses when it came to ROH. I was just more concerned about, like, uh, not getting heat half the time, really. <laughs> right. I mean, a lot of people would shit on, like, the booking and everything. As far as like me being booked, I never paid too much attention to it towards the end when I felt like, okay, I've been here long enough. I put my time in. And I remember all, like, after I missed that flight, I remember I had to like really look in the mirror and think to myself, like, okay, what can I do? Because I had to apologize to the whole locker room when I did that. I remember thinking to myself, okay, what can I do to like set myself a different, be different, just be, just be different. And that was when I ran into like George Carroll who would like help me out and give me advice. You should do this. You should be yourself, be yourself. Just do you, be you, be you. So like, man, my ROH days, man, they just, uh, it bittersweet, bitter because I had the, uh, uh, sweet because I had the opportunity to be able to say that I wrestled for ring of honor and I was contracted bitter because of all the bullshit and mental stress that I had to go through to try to like, to, to just be there, man. Like I felt like, a lot of the shit that I got there, man, it was unnecessary. Did you ever? It was unnecessary. Did you ever feel? And you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. But did it ever feel like it went from professional jealousy to personal? See, when people would talk to me about it, man, I would always try to shy away from it. Like, oh no, it's not jealousy. It's not jealousy. And people were constantly telling me, Albert, it's jealousy. It's jealousy. I can't. I honestly, I want to say it was strictly professional jealousy because no one no one there knew me personally no one ever tried to like sit down pick my brain talk to me and that was the one thing i used to always say no one ever tried to like talk to me like pick my brain get to know me like albert do you have sisters you know what i mean like you know what i'm saying like no one ever tried to like bond with me nobody nobody there nobody there knew albert they just knew you as ach Right, and at the time, I didn't know how to separate my in-ring energy from my backstage energy. Now, I wasn't just backstage fucking running around like a fucking 12-year-old, but, you know what I mean, when people see my personality in the ring and they see my personality outside the ring, they expect that I'm like that 24-7. And I and, and no one ever thought to just sit down and just talk to me. The only person I remember sitting down actually having, like, heart-to-heart conversations with and we actually i wouldn't say we grew like tight but i think there was like an understanding was me and roddy actually because when we went to england like he i hung out with them for a little bit and i talked the briscoes were super cool uh carino kevin kelly was super cool um of course cedric was there he was super tight truth jimmy i'll never get jimmy pulled me to the side and this still to this day I, like it still sticks to me to this day he pulled me to the side and i think this was at like the height of my heat and we were in canada and i think we had just wrestled the bucks it was like the extra the extravaganza and he pulled me to the side and he goes you know um 
he's like, you know, like Cole had heat too when he first got here, right? And I was like, wait, what? And he's like, yeah. He's like, dude, it, like everything, like everybody has heat. Like he tried to like put it in a way to make me, I guess, be at ease with things. And he was just like, it's just new guy heat. I was like, dude, I've been here for a while now. Like new guy heat at some point has to die down. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like this, you know what I mean? Like this is just seems ridiculous. And he told me he was like. The cream always rises to the top, Albert. So I legit held on to those words my entire time in Ring of Honor, thinking like, okay, if I stick through this, if I get through this, like eventually, you know, things will happen. But dude, just I would like, I remember um, there were a lot of incidents that really rubbed me the wrong way. There was one incident we were building up to me and Lethal. Lethal's not that older than me. He's maybe like a year older than me, maybe two, and. You know, I was trying, I was struggling that promos. I, I, you know, I didn't know who I was as a character. I didn't know anything about TV wrestling promos. So I'm trying to learn. You're not getting a lot of information. You're not getting a lot of like guidance, help. Like, yo, maybe say this, maybe do this. It's just pretty much, we're going to turn on this camera. You just, you know, do what you do. And it's like, well, I don't know what I do. Like, I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to be taught these things, but I feel like no one's trying to help me. So. I'm cutting this promo and I'm constantly just failing. And he's like, why don't you mention how you looked up to him when you were a kid and you watched him as a kid growing up? How the fuck did I watch Jay Lethal as a kid growing up when this nigga's only two years older than me? What the fuck? That doesn't make any sense. Like, like you clearly, like, if anybody knows, everyone knows my favorite professional wrestler is Shelton Benjamin. So why would I even lie about anything? Why would I even say anything like that? You know what I mean? Like, right. there was just a lot of things there, man, that just, like, I'll never forget um, when I missed the flight. And this was around the time they had just signed a TV deal with Destination. I think it was it Destination America? And they kept releasing all these, like, um, these promo ads for them, like, with all the wrestlers on them. And someone had made one. I know who did it. And I know who sent it to the guy from the dirt sheet. I'm not going to air this guy out, but I know who did it. And he sent one to them that was like, ACH would have made it, but he missed his flight. Like, what the fuck? This is somebody within the company. Like, what the fuck, dude? You know what I'm saying? Like, right. it was shit like that that I couldn't understand, that I couldn't fathom. Like, how are you, like, how am I the child, but y'all acting way more childish than I do and petty than I would ever act. Like, I would never do half the things that all these guys do. You know what I'm saying? I didn't get real comfortable with myself until, like, Shelly and Saban showed up. And honestly, when Leo showed up, it kind of, like, took away a lot of the heat because people hated that nigga more than they hated me. <laughs> so, I remember you... You end up getting permission to go do an AAW show. Yeah. The promo you cut at AAW, was that kind of like the shit hitting the fan, last straw kind of moment with ROH? I was in the moment. I was in the moment, and I didn't... Th Honestly, I've always been under the impression that I fly under the radar. Like, I've always been under the impression that, like, no one's listening to me. No one cares what I have to say. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I figured if I go out and I just go, hey, you know, I dress it up differently, people will think like, oh, you know, this is nothing, just a promo, just another day promo. I knew what I was doing. I knew what I was saying. I was pretty much saying that I wasn't resigning with ROH. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like I just dressed it and I just made it differently. That's all. 
And then when I get backstage and then I'm getting all these text messages and phone calls from Hunter, <laughs> who's like, did you just bury ROH? I didn't bury ROH. Not once did I ever bury ROH. I just said ROH didn't care for me. And that's how I felt. When I sat in that co- when I sat down with Kevin Kelly, I sat down with Greg, I sat down with Hunter, and we were all in Chicago and they had an opportunity to keep me there. I would have stayed in ROH, but I felt like Hunter couldn't tell me like he couldn't tell me what he had planned or what he had and greg was trying to get him to tell me like oh he has this idea for you and i was like well let me hear it what is it you know what i'm saying and hunter couldn't even look me in the eye and tell me anything and the fact that that conversation happened privately and then all of it leaked out to the dirt sheets that made me even more upset because i was like yo that was supposed to be in privacy how did that get leaked out it wasn't kevin kelly i know it wasn't greg well, then who else could it be? There's only four of us in there. Right, process so who of else could it be? <laughs> right. I felt, you know what I mean? Yeah. I just, and I felt like I wanted to stay in ROH. I, I, I truly did because they gave me a lot of shit. They gave me a lot of stuff. But they just didn't do, they didn't stay, to me, I felt like they didn't stay true to their word. And I felt like they didn't value me as I thought I should have been valued. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I could have sat there and just accepted the money like a lot of people do and just fucking go out there and just put on a smile and just collect the paycheck and just say, yeah, whatever. But I always wanted to go somewhere. I mean, I still feel like this to this day. I want to go somewhere and I want to be valuable. Like, I want to be an asset. Like, I want to add to the promotion. I want to add to the locker room. Like, I want to get this promotion money like i want to get the promoter money like i want to make money for this person because i know if i make money for this person i can make money for myself right and i and i even told them in that meeting i was like dude i've done a lot to make you guys see me in a different light you know what i mean i I got a lot of my stuff together in my personal life so like things could never happen again that weren't out of my control so like i did a lot to like help myself in ROH and I felt like it was all for nothing because I still felt like I wasn't valued alright we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back Japan tell us about it now go (laughs) (laughs) so you you end up wrapping up with Ring of Honor and then you end up working for New Japan like how did that all come about um they they, so from what I understand, I went a year, I, I went a year before, I, the year that I went to Japan, I was apparently supposed to go the year before from what I understand. Apparently I had got asked to go to Japan, but, w, or sorry, uh, ROH pulled the plug on it because I was stuck in a feud with somebody. That was another thing that came up in the meeting too that made me upset. I was like, wait. Why did you guys pull the plug on me going to Japan when I was in a feud with someone? When you guys send guys there all the time that are infused with everybody, you just put the feuds on hold. But for me, why did you put that on hold? Like, how does that work? And they couldn't give me an answer to it. So that was another reason that destroyed our, that, that hindered our relationship uh, for between me and ROH. But they ended up contacting, uh, they ended up contacting ROH. Jeff Jones actually called me and gave me the news that I was going to Japan. It was funny. He contacted me before Hunter, <laughs> and he told me that I was going to Japan, and I was actually in the parking lot of a Fuddruckers 
in Austin when I got the news that I was going to Japan. And then I did the thing with Noah because this was at this was during the time I believe Noah and New Japan were having a working relationship. So I went to go do the Noah tag league and they tagged me with Ishimori. And then, I mean, I, I, I just did good business. You know what I mean? Like the thing that was so different there than it was being in the States, like wasn't a lot of egos. Um, everybody knew their part. No one was bullying anybody or hazing anybody. And it just, it was different. And like, I felt like I was starting to come into my own or get an idea of like the character that I wanted to see or the character that I wanted to be, which is when I started to dive deeply into the anime stuff. And I started to take from anime heavenly, like facial expressions, body language and, and stuff like that. So that's how I got into Japan. And then after me and um, Ishimori did so well in the Noah tag, we got to go to the new Japan junior tag league. And then from there, the rest is history. Then I just kept getting back. And even when I left, always I was under I was under a little concern that I may have I may not be able to go back but I actually got the call to go back and then the relationship was just the relationship just kind of stuck and I was going to Japan regularly every year which was pretty cool for me man I, I don't take anything away from my time in Japan like I love my time in Japan it was it was good it was it was great and then the thing that I loved the most about it it was cool to be able to go out there and and do my stick, and the people get it. Like a lot, I feel like a lot of uh, people in the states may not understand the whole anime thing, but when I did it in Japan, they instantly got it, and they love the big facial expressions, the over-the-top mannerisms, and stuff like that. And I drew all of that stuff from from them, from anime. So when I was doing that stuff, they got it, and it clicked. And I think that it clicked so well in Japan that it resonated here in the States to where people were like, oh, he's he's an anime character. Some people didn't get it. Some people still don't get it. But for the most part, they got it in Japan. And I think that was what was most important to me. And I was happy that they got it in Japan. Yeah, to me, your run in Japan is like when you went from, oh, that this is Albert, our friend, to like, oh, our friend Albert's like becoming a fucking like big name in wrestling. Because you... You caught on really big in Japan. You went over there multiple times for multiple different things. What are some of the matches that stand out that you had? Uh, me versus Flip. Because I remember talking to Shelly. He prepped me for that match because I was, I was nervous. Because that, that was when I had switched to the pink gear. Um and I was, I was extremely nervous because I was coming in on, like, a new leg. And with Flip Kendrick, or sorry, with Flip Gordon being the newbie at New Japan and me having a little, a little bit of, a little bit of run there before he came, I was kind of, like, the one to take in charge of the match a little bit. And, you know, me and him put the match together and I was, like, the, the ring general a little bit. And I was nervous. I really wanted to put him over and make him look good so he could come back too. And I remember talking to Shelly about it. And Shelly gave me some good tips, some good advice, and some good. He's the one that actually called the spot of him doing the one jumping off the uh, balcony. He's the one that gave me the idea for it. He was like, "Oh, dude, they'll love it. That'll get him over super huge." So I asked Flip. I was like, "Were you cool with that?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'll do it." So we did it. And like, man, I love that match. Like, <laughs> I did the one arm deadlift to him. The people loved it. Um, 
the stuff that I did with Osprey, I like that a lot too. Uh, my stuff with Tiger Mask. Um, that first run too, when I did my uh, my first Super Juniors by myself, when I came there and I did the Super Juniors by myself, I, I was I was a little bit depressed there because I had just left ROH. So uh, you can if you go, it's it's crazy if you go watch my first Super Juniors match and you go watch my my second one where I have the pink gear on. It's like a complete different. It's just like night and day the way I looked. I was like, a, I was in better shape. I looked more serious. Like I just looked like a completely different wrestler compared to when I did my first Super Juniors. Um, man, everything I did in Japan, I loved everything. Like I just had a good time, and like it was the first time in wrestling, and outside of my my normal wrestling circle. I was interacting with other wrestlers and like talking like I would sit down and I would like talk to Rocky and like other people and like people were getting to know me and and also to my time in Japan I spent a lot of time to myself as well like I actually got to like go and see the city meditate I learned I was reading more I just did a lot of things for self-care I, like, I loved my time in Japan I would just wake up go work out eat travel wrestle like it was the perfect schedule for me it was what i it was i felt like a pro wrestler and i loved it i i, I everything about my japan run i loved i i just i just love japan I, I appreciate the fans i appreciate the locker room um the staff the, the promotion even like just everything about japan i just love i feel like every wrestler should try to experience japan at some point in their career easier said than done but you got to try to get there because it truly makes you appreciate wrestling because it's a little different it's actually it's a lot different in japan than it is in the states and you're on your own soul your only sole purpose is to be a pro wrestler and that's what i was able to do was just be a pro wrestler i wasn't on my phone constantly because i didn't have like the wi-fi thing there so like i just spent a lot of time listening to music reading reflecting coming up with spots character ideas coming up with things that i wanted to do when i got back to the states like i just took that time and i just used it wisely to just like gain a lot of personal stuff you know what i mean just work on a lot of personal stuff i love my stuff in japan man i loved it every bit of it um it's funny because I would I would always say like I put wrestlers in different categories and so I'll there are certain wrestlers you can book and they're guys you book because you you know they're gonna tear the fucking house down like you know they they just go out they have a match they tear the house down then there are guys that you book and your best bets to book them multiple times like Jimmy Jacobs is a guy like. I wouldn't want to book Jimmy just one time. Like, if I was ever book Jimmy Jacobs, I would want to book Jimmy for, like, six shows and have a whole story and let Jimmy help tell that story because they're like a, you know, he's like a storyline wrestler. Like, if you give him a fucking story, he's going to add to it and make it fucking phenomenal. Eddie Kingston's another guy I would say is like that. And you are kind of both. Like, you can tear the house down. But I, one thing I noticed about your Japan and stuff is once you started doing Japan a lot, you became, like, a way better uh, storyteller in your matches. Like, you, would, you, would, you were able to really grasp the storytelling aspect of pro wrestling. Is that, like, what you picked up over in Japan? Oh, absolutely. I adapted to that style like water, man. Like... I embraced 
everything that was Japanese wrestling. Like, when I would come back home, I would just sit there and I would just watch old New Japan matches. I would just sit there and just watch a shit ton of New Japan matches. Like, I, I absorbed everything that was New Japan because I really wanted that to work out well for me. And I remember when they tagged me with um, Taguchi, and I was so excited about that because I was like, oh, wow, like, this is great. Like, this this adds another level, like, another level to the the character that is ACH. Like, with him, I was able to, like, I didn't have to say anything. I just had to go, hi, and just make funny noises and do things. Like, it just, like, you know what I mean? Like, it just gave me a different aspect of, like, wrestling because he did a lot of comedy stuff, but he could also turn it out. So it just... It, it, it gave it, it definitely gave me a a new a new lease on storytelling and wrestling and it definitely added to my to my repertoire of storytelling too as well man like japan i don't think i'd be the wrestler that i am today if it wasn't for japan right like i don't think i would have ever evolved or like grew as a performer if it wasn't for japanese for japan like I, I loved everything about Japanese, about the Japanese culture of wrestling, man. I love everything about it. Were you often recognized? Oh! <gasps> Sorry, I just literally saw a wreck. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> Do you need to go save those people? Super ACH? <laughs> no, I'm good. I just literally watched somebody back into a car. Oh, <laughs> oh they're fine. <laughs> Sorry, what were you saying? Uh, fuck, now I forgot. Um, were you recognized a uh, lot over in Japan? Um, sometimes. I mean, I never really, I never really paid attention to that stuff. I was just stuck in my own little world trying to go find these, like, you know, anime toys and go see the sights and hear the sounds and stuff like that. People would come up to me and go, super, and stuff like that. But, I mean, it wasn't like, Tanahashi, that guy was a rock star. Right. I, ne- I have never seen grown men in business suits legit act like children to another grown man. They were like, oh, Tanahashi. Like, they were like, they were acting like schoolgirls. I'll never forget that. And he's just so cool. He has his glasses on, his long lock of hair, and he's just like walking. He has his like strut, and these people are just going nuts. Like, he's a rock star. Never reached that level of stardom. <laughs> but you did get to perform at a Wrestle Kingdom, though. That must have been awesome. Ah, I did. That was great. Uh, man, that mask was terrible, though. Yeah. <laughs> I could not breathe for the life of me. <laughs> we actually got to see you in the mask. Like, how? It wasn't long. Hell, it was like what a couple weeks before that, because we came down to Texas to have my last match, which is another story. I'll just tell real quick. Is, and I appreciated you for this, too. My last match was going to be in Texas before I did NWL, and you weren't booked on that show. And it was me and Evan versus two fucking ghosts. And we were trying to get it to be me, Evan, and Gary versus you, Fitchett, and Vega because we were all down there. Like, we made a point. Like, Vega and Fitchett took the booking so that we could have, like, one last trip, the five of us, and then we stayed at your apartment, and you weren't booked on the show, and you offered to, like, do the show for free if they would let us do this six-man tag, and 
and unfortunately, Biss and Max wouldn't let us do it. Uh, it was very important that one of us. Vega died. was <laughs> Vega offered to wrestle twice on the card so the match could happen. Like, but for whatever reason, they didn't want to do it. I always appreciated you doing that, but. The point of the story is, during the day at your apartment, you actually put on the fucking outfit, and you're like, this is you're the mask, you're like, yeah. this is what I'm going to have to wear. That was just pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> and they actually had they actually had another mask that was a little bit more comfortable, but they wanted us to wear those masks because they, they resemblance the anime, they, they, they resemblance the anime characters in the actual anime a lot better. So that thing, it felt like I had a giant box on my head. So like whenever I was breathing, I can feel and smell my breath. Not that Ugh. my breath stinks or anything, but I, I can feel and smell. And I was like, oh, this is just musty in here. Oh, this is terrible. Was it hard <laughs> to breathe in there and do the match? What's that? Was it hard to breathe in there and do the match? A little bit. It wasn't too bad. I was more hot than anything. I was, I was more hot than anything, honestly, because I had never worn, like, a full bodysuit before, and then I had, that was the first time I wrestled in boots, too, so the, I had to, like, I was just like, man, I don't even know how to adjust to any of this, like an idiot, too, I never decided to put on the boots and wrestle, try, like, try them on or anything like that, I just wore the boots for the first time when I did that, so, yeah, that was, it was, I wouldn't, I don't want to say it was uncomfortable, but it was definitely uneasy. <laughs> Do you remember... Ad Inspire, after the match, everybody comes in the ring. Matt gives his half-assed speech, because he's given much better ones about retirement. <laughs> and it's you, me, Gary, Rook, and no Vega. <laughs> yeah, Vega no-showed me on my retirement. Because we, we get backstage, and he's getting his hair braided yeah. or something. And we're like, where the fuck were you? And he's like, oh, I missed it. Yeah, fucking Vega no-showed on my, my... Well, lucky for him, I had I've had... Three more? Yeah, three matches since then. And I actually pinned him in one of them. <laughs> That's right, you did. Uh, but, yeah, like, I don't I don't hold that against Biss or Max. I'm I not, I'm not petty, but... I am. It was a little shitty that, like, we had the opportunity there to have that six-man tag. And I don't ever put us over too much, but, like, the submission squad did a fair amount for, like, Texas Independence when we were coming down there all the time. It would have been nice to have that six-man tag as like the actual final match in Texas, but oh, for sure, you guys are you guys are credited for bringing in that that fast-paced athletic style to Texas. I was just having this talk with someone yesterday, and I was like, Texas is not known. Like we've always had athletic guys, super athletic guys, but we never had like super indie guys. Like we've never like a lot of guys in Texas. They look great but they wrestle very simple and, like, basic, you know what I mean? But you guys came, you guys were doing, like, the cutter variations, super kick spots, trade-offs, rush spot. Like, you know, you guys are doing things that I was like, man, we don't do this in Texas. <laughs> so you guys brought that stuff, and guys would try to imitate that. All right, so what are we at? We're about at the, at almost, I think, we're either at the two-hour mark of the podcast, maybe a little over, and right here live, ACH has said I was at one time, athletic in the ring you've heard it here i used to be able you could do a standing no, moonsault i tell people all the time there was a time in my career i was ter- i had matches that you would say tore the house down now it's been many years it's been many years but it used to happen bb hulk once come up and told me really great match bb hulk so i'll, I'll hold on to that um, and then you end against Buddy Shepard. Yeah. 
<laughs> what a yeah. failure you've become. I end being wheeled out in a wheelchair. <laughs> but, you know, a um, couple people at that Russell Kingdom, about, I think, sixty to 80,000 people there. So, decent draw they had that, that night. Light envelopes around the house, I'd imagine. <laughs> but... So you end up getting big, like, you know, you're doing really good stuff with New Japan, and then you're back doing indies again. W- when does WWE start becoming a possibility? Legit, they contacted me the day before I left, before my last Super Juniors tour. Wow. The day before I left. I was packing my bags. I never got, I was packing my bags. I was in the living room. And I got an email from Canyon. I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> I could I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. It was the crazy. It was the craziest thing in my life because I just for years I never, never thought that was a possibility. I I I never thought that it would be possible. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just didn't believe in it. And when it happened, I never get. I cried and I called my mom. And me and my mom cried. And my mom was excited on the phone. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so we were only like, I was on the phone. I was like, oh, wow. Like, this is actually happening. And I, and I never forget. And I had, and I went, I didn't go to Japan with like a chip on my shoulder. But I went to Japan like, okay, I need to work like I belong there. You know what I mean? Like, it just added to the motivation. You know what I mean? It just inspired me more to like, okay, I need to do things. Man, my 2018 run was like, man, I had a lot of good matches in 2018. A lot of stuff that I enjoyed a lot. And I'm very critical of myself. And, and you know what? I won't even sit here and blow smoke on my ass. I won't say I had a lot of good matches. I had a good time in 2018. Like, I really enjoyed myself. Uh, I did. I came to St. Louis, St. Louis Anarchy a couple of times. Um, I was the AAW champion. Um, I was doing MLW regularly. Um, like, man, I was I was having a really good time. I wrestled. I was doing PCW too. Like, man, I had a out, out in California. Man, I had a really good time in 2018. And they yes, they contacted me the day before I left, and it almost felt like it was planned. Like they had it a part of their plan because this was around the time people were talking about the you know AEW coming starting up so i felt like wwe plan was to take as many guys as possible so nobody could sign with AEW. you know what i mean clean up the market now no one you know what i mean no one can no one can leave you know what i'm saying no one can go to the competition yeah right so was that a difficult decision because you i mean you just said you were doing all these things in 2018 your aaw champ you're doing a whole bunch of indies. You got MLW going. You have a regular spot in Japan. You're literally an anime character. <laughs> was it <laughs> was it a difficult decision to go, okay, like I'm going to sign this contract and then I'm going to have to move to Florida, kind of start from scratch again because you don't know what they're going to do. Was that was it a difficult decision or did you just look at it, hey, WWE is something I've always wanted to do, so I'm going to sign this, I'm going to do this? It was that I I wasn't difficult. Like I knew that at the time that was where I wanted to be, and I felt like that's what I had been working my entire life to do was to be there. Even if I didn't think that it was possible, I was still working like it was possible. You know what I mean? So when the opportunity presented itself, and the cap was like, "Yeah, I'll take it." You know what I'm saying? I'll take it. And then honestly, all of it didn't hit me until. 
end of the indie run, that's when it all started to hit me. Like, that's when everyone was like, holy shit, I've been on the indies for like 10 plus years, and I've seen the same people throughout my entire life every weekend for like the last 10 years, and here it is, I'm not gonna see none of these people anymore. And that's when that shit got real, like, damn. Like, it's all done. Like, it's like, that's it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to see some of these people anymore. And that, that really took a toll on me, too. Like, that took a huge toll. I was also extremely nervous because I was I was living in this, in this world where I was like, fuck, I got to go back and deal with some of these people from ROH who may not know me now. They only know what they knew then. So they may not be too receptive of me because of what had happened in the past. So I was like, shit. And people would tell me like, no, you're not gonna, you're not gonna have to worry about that. Like it's not like that. Like you'll be fine. You'll do, you'll, you know, you'll be good. You'll be a whatever. But those are things that I, that I was worried about. Like fuck, people are gonna have heat with me for some shit that I did fucking eight years ago. You know what I mean? Like, like what kind of shit is that? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Because wrestling's petty. You know what I mean? Like right. wrestling. People in wrestling can be petty for no damn reason. And right. So I, 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 what's that? I was just going to say for listeners that may not know the timeline here. So you end up signing with WWE. And I, obviously during w, when you sign with WWE, a lot of these guys that were in Ring of Honor during your Ring of Honor run are now in NXT. So you were worried about maybe some of that heat carrying over when you were to come to WWE. Right. And I didn't know if people had like... Like, you know, oh, ACH is immature, or he's this, he's that. So I was going into something thinking, like, man, these people probably talk about me or have this idea about me based off of opinions of others. So, like, here I am in this new world. I don't have my, I don't have, like, my comfort zone as far as, like, my friends. Like, I didn't have you guys, Vega, Fitchett, uh, my guys back in Texas. Like, I didn't have starts and nothing like that you know guys were like ah, i don't have to be friends with these guys like these are the people i work with i can just hang out with my friends like i didn't have that you know what i'm saying i was coming in something completely different so when i got there i was i, I was i was i was excited but i was also on eggshells again because i just was like you know what i just want to show up go to work do my job I love wrestling. I got to show up, and I got to show up to the PC almost every other day, be in the ring, learn from Norman Smiley, um, watch footage with Terry Taylor, who I absolutely adore. Um, like, I was like, I'm just going to do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I completely ignored my social life a little bit, not going to lie, because I was just like, I don't want to get too mixed up with too many people. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just didn't want to. Like, I've never been a person to have a big social circle. It's never been it's never been my thing to have like twenty friends, you know what I mean, in my social circle. Because you're just you're just asking for trouble if you have that many people as your friends, you know what I'm saying? So like I I, I stayed to myself and and I talked to some people. People tried to get me out the house. I I was not nah, even want to go. Like you know I'm I'm a homebody. That's just the type of person I am. Which is funny because you know when you see me at shows, most of the time I'm usually energetic, a lot of big smiles, having fun, having a good time. A lot of people don't know when I go home, I'm at home. I'm quiet. I'm to myself. Like, I mean, you can attest to that when you live with me. You know, I'd be in the room, and the only thing you would hear is a big laugh. Oh, yeah, I remember that. (laughs) I'll never forget. 
2.30 in the morning, I wake up out of a dead sleep, and I hear you, and I think you're screaming. So I'm thinking, shit, someone's broken the fucking house. So I come <laughs> flying out of the room. I'm like, Albert, are you all right? Yeah, you're not going to believe what Ricky put on Facebook. I was like, it's fucking 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I thought we were under attack. Jackson kicks door But right, open. no, I can attest to that. It, it, I, we lived together for, we'll say, three years, and I never had to, like, wake up in the middle of the night and let in Albert because he had been up all, out all night drinking and was locked out of the house or, like, called and woke up, like, oh, hey, Albert, shit-faced drunk, or, like, he'd been out partying all that. It never happened. Like, I mean, we were, you were either traveling or you were at home and we were playing NBA 2K. It was usually <laughs> one of those things going on. Yeah, I, I'm a pretty chill. I'm a pretty chill, laid back guy, and I think a lot of people don't know that about me. They just know what they see in the ring and in locker rooms. Like when I'm around people, I I I, I enjoy. Like I enjoy people. Like I I can talk to people, but you know, when I'm at home, I'm to myself. And sometimes I'm. I mean, I've gotten like that. That was one of the things that I picked up from Japan was separating the energy, like keeping all that hyperness for the in ring, the personality big like ah like you know over the top stuff i left all that in the ring when i'm outside the ring i'm a little bit more reserved now like that was that was how i matured that was that's what helped me like being happy constantly 24 7 is not good it's unhealthy like it's not good you know what i mean because it's first of all like you can be having the worst feeling in the world inside but you're putting on this giant smile for everybody and you're just constantly happy 24 seven. That's depressing as shit. So what I learned was to be able, okay, when I'm in the ring, that's ACH. He's loud. He's obnoxious. He's like over the top. But when I'm backstage, quiet, I'm reserved. Like that was one of the things that I picked up from Japan because it was a very laid back and chilled environment in the locker room on the bus. So when I'd be on the bus, I'd just throw on my headphones Nobody's mad because I'm not talking. I'm not being one of the boys or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like, I was able to just be me. So I was like, oh, this is cool. So I adapted a lot of that. So when I moved to Florida, I don't think a lot of people understood that that's how I was. And this was the first time in my entire life I lived in a city, literally, where there's almost a wrestler on every corner. Like, Florida's just filled. Orlando is just filled with wrestlers. So I'm one of those people, I'm also very private. I'm like, man, I don't want no one in my business. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to stick to myself. Like, I'm just going to do my thing. Like, I'll kick it. I went out a couple of times. I wasn't just in the house. I went out with some people sometimes. I enjoyed myself. Not as much as I could have, but I enjoyed myself. But, again, I did walk on eggshells because I was worried that people may be judging me based off of something that I did in the past. And a lot of the times, you know, I get in my head, I overthink things. You know, I was I was extremely nervous. I wrestled a lot too when I was there. I wrestled a lot. More than that the average like they I don't know if you can talk about these things, but I don't really care. So they do like some shows, some in house shows at the PC for like some people. Like I remember wrestling for The Undertaker, Triple H when I first got there, like, me and Trevor would wrestle a lot, um, like, do PC shows, and I loved it, because I just liked to wrestle, and, I mean, I also like, um, I like uh, structure when it comes to my workouts, so being able to show up to the PC, they already have a workout for the day for you to do, like, shit like that, I enjoyed, like, I liked that aspect of it, like, 
of being able to wake up. Oh, I got a, I got an hour or an hour and a half with fucking Norman Smiley in ring. Like, fuck. These are things that I felt like I never had coming into wrestling, like, stru- like organized structure, like an organized wrestling structured school. So being able to go to the PC and learn in a curriculum like that, I enjoyed it. I, like, I was like, man, I want to make the most out of this opportunity because if I can't have this anymore, at least I can walk away going, I learned this, I learned this, I learned this, I did this, I did this, I did this. Like, I was trying to get the most out of that opportunity because I wanted to, because it meant so much to me, you know? Yep. Like, that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to get everything out of that because I didn't want to be one of those guys, well, I work for WWE, but I did this, and I did that. No, like, I was like, yo, I did the acting classes, and, like, people complain a lot, and I'm one of those people, if you complain a lot, I don't want to be around it. Because it's like, I don't want to hear it. Because I don't want to get this opinion on something because somebody else or three other people are complaining about things. And I get that that's just work. That's just how all people are. People like to just say things that they don't like. But Kingston used to always say something to me when I would ever come home. He'd be like, you know, if people hate it that much, they should quit. And it's like, damn, he's got a point. Like, people could, like, go on the Twitter and and complaining about you hate it like this, you hate it like that. And it's like, but you're still there. You can't hate it too much. It can't be too bad. And that's not me knocking on anybody or anything. But it's just like, I don't want to be around anything that I consider negative. You know what I mean? Like, I I had, I had worked up this, like, this positive energy, this, like, force field, this bubble around me when I got there. And I was afraid to let anything or anyone in because I didn't want it to penetrate my 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 positivity because i was there to get the most out of that experience excuse me i was there to get the most out of that experience right so i like it 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 was it it was it it hurt my heart too man when when the shirt got released i was angry and then everything just kind of came to a head because i was angry at that shirt and then to me it brought up a lot of shit from roh because, again, that's how I always felt ROH viewed me as. Oh, you're just a high flyer. That's all you can do. You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. that's it. So when you release this this shirt of the Ventral show, it's like, is that is that, a, is, is that what I am? Am I just a joke? Am I just, like, something that no one takes serious? Is that what I am? And it was funny because I was told to smile. Now, I was told to smile because that's a Vince thing. Vince likes that. Now, when I got there... I wasn't smiling at all. I would just come out and I would have a straight face and I would wrestle. Like that was my thing. And I was told you should, you should smile more. And I went, okay, you want me to smile more? You got it. <laughs> and, I, and I smiled and I smiled a fucking lot. And I'm one of those people, you tell me to do something. And if I'm not feeling it, I'm going to do it because it's my job. But I'm going to turn that motherfucker up to 10. And that's exactly what I did. I was like, I gave them what I was in Japan. I turned my smile up. I turned my personality up. I was over the top. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, doing those house shows. Like, I was having the time of my life. I also wrestled differently because the stuff that I was learning, like, I was trying to, like, implement a lot of that stuff in my matches, all the new stuff that I was learning. Man, I was getting so much stuff thrown at me at once. I was having the time of my life there, dude. I really was. I enjoyed my time there. I really did. But then when they released that shirt, it's when I got angry. And then I made a lot of comments that I'm not going to take back because that's just how I feel. Now, could I have set them a lot better? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
I said a lot of things out of anger. If I would have said those things with like a little bit more, um, what is it? If I could have said those things a little bit more intelligently and calmly and came from a real place and not an angry place, I think it would have been okay. But the fact that I was just so angry and mad and disrespected and I just felt like, I, I felt like a joke. You know what I mean? Like you work your whole entire life and I don't even take myself serious. But the fact that they, they did that, like, I was like, fuck man, that's, that's embarrassing. You know what I mean? This just ain't a couple of people laughing at you or making fun of you or talking about you. This is all, you know what I mean? This is millions of people mocking you. You know what I mean? And I was angry. I was mad. And it just, and it just, and it just brought up a lot of shit. The ROH stuff and everything. Like, that's just how it is, man. <laughs> that's just how it goes. I don't, I don't hold, I don't hold too many grudges, but I, I, <sighs> that shit really pissed me off, man. I <laughs> like it, it, it made me mad, man. It, it really made me mad. And I talked to you last week. And, and, you know, I'm in limbo about a lot of stuff right now. And, like, I have family and friends talking to me, and they're all like, you know, what are you going to do now? What's, like, what's your next move? What do you want to do? And to me, it's like, dude, I don't, I, like, I don't know. Like, I'm enjoying this downtime, not being away from wrestling. I'd be lying if I say I didn't miss it. I do miss it. But after going through something like that, and everyone's like, you can overcome stuff like this. It's so easy for everyone to say you can overcome something when they walk, when they're watching you. Right. No, they, I mean, I, uh, there's a couple things, like, it's easy for people to say things when they're not the ones going through it. And I didn't have to go through what you went through, but shit, like, you being one of my best friends, like, it was difficult for me, because... You know, number one, we had a few conversations when you were in the fucking midst of this. And, yes, you were very angry. I had never heard, we we had had a conversation, I had never heard you like that before. You were very angry. And you did lash out on social media, which opened up, you know, the floodgates for everybody to have their opinion on what you were saying. Which turns into, like, I ended up finding myself in online fucking backs and forth with local wrestlers, like, shitty local wrestlers around here that would say shit. And then I would, like, oh, fuck that, I'm going to defend Albert. And next thing I know, I'm fighting with these fucking people online myself. So I can only, like, people don't understand when you're getting attacked online, people will say, well, just don't respond. Well, it's very difficult when you're not the one getting fucking raked across the coals. And I had a, I had a hard time reading it when it was about you. It wasn't even about me. So, and I, so I can only imagine when you're reading your fucking notifications and you're being called all kinds of things like that. It's easy for someone to tell the person not to respond to that when it's not them. Shit, I've had like four burner accounts made about me, and I've wanted to fucking comment on all of them, but you're just a fucking idiot, but I haven't. But that's four compared to the multiple thousand like people that were weighing in on what you were going through. Um, 
so you said that like, you wouldn't take back anything you said, but w w looking back on all of it now, you would change the way you approached it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And see, the thing, too, this all, like, my main concern when I would talk to them was like, yo, I was lied to. Like, I, like, the shirt, I was like, see, mistakes like that can happen, right? That's what I was thinking, like, maybe it's a mistake, you know? But I was also lied to. Like, this guy lied to my face. Like, he said that I approved the shirt when I didn't approve the shirt. That was another thing that got me hot when they released the, like, well, he approved of it. No, I didn't. The dude told me that was Triple H's vision for me. So how am I supposed to feel if I'm working for this guy and he thinks that that's what I look like? And then when you're being told, oh, no, I thought that was the uh, Rolling Stones. I thought it looked like the Rolling Stones lips. What? How do you get that from that? I even had, like, I'm, like, I'm, like, I Googled it, and I put them side by side, and I was like, the Rolling Stones lips looks nothing like this t-shirt logo. That dude lied to my face. I offered another logo. I even offered to, to work together to come up with something else as well. And, like, he came back to me and was like, yeah, Triple H just didn't like that one. He thought that this one fits fits it more this is his vision for you this is the one he wants to go with so i was like okay well all said so okay but i knew something was up i just felt something was up so i wanted to talk to him in person about it and just kind of like you know see where he's coming from like maybe this is maybe maybe something could be wrong maybe this is not what it was so when i talked to him in person and he looks at me and he goes i thought you approved of that <laughs> what i looked at him with this look of like no what? So instead of lashing out at him, like, no, nah, nigga, you did this to me. I was like, no, nah, I'm going to go talk to this dude Baker and I'm going to go holler at him and go see what's up. Because now something is, someone is lying and it ain't me because I didn't approve of the shirt. Now, if Triple H is coming to me telling me, I thought you approved of it. I thought you approved of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so I had to go talk to this dude Baker. Like, yo, what's up? Like, you, you said that this was Triple H's vision. Like, what's up with that? You know what I'm saying? Like, how, how does that work, bro? Man, it's... It's a lot it, of emotion like, to have to take in when you're not around. How you said earlier, you know, you're, you're, a lot of your closer friends aren't down there. You're dealing with all these things yourself. You could easily see how someone might lash out at that point. Is how I look at it. But we're, we're going to take a quick break to save this, and we will keep discussing this when we come back. So during this time, we're back here. Uh, you, I mean, eventually you you publicly quit WWE, right? Like, I mean, that was, they didn't know you were going to put out that Twitter video? No, they they didn't know. And yeah. that, was, that was just very spontaneous. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, I, I remember... I didn't see it when it happened. I I, see, I had woke up and uh, came across it, and I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> he uh, he quit WWE <laughs> on, on Twitter. <laughs> um, so, look, I, these things get to be, you know, they're difficult to talk about, uh, but one of the things, I feel like I have to bring this up, 
I'm not doing my. You don't com- want your interview cred question. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be doing my job. Is you got an awful lot of heat for what you said about Jay Lethal, and I mean, you you called Jay Lethal and Uncle Tom. Uh, you know, I know that you and him didn't have a great relationship all the way back in your ROH days. That seemed to be the thing that you caught the most heat for. Do you regret using that term to describe Jay Lethal? Is that something you wish you wouldn't have did? Maybe you just want to explain more fully what you meant. You know, like, like what was it with Jay Lethal that made you make those comments? When I got into ROH, I was excited to actually be sharing a locker room with Lethal. Like, to me, I was like, oh, man, I'm in a locker room with another African-American who is, like, very well-respected, like, um, you know what I mean? Like, he's a good, like, I think, regardless of how I feel, I think he's solid in the ring, right? So I was like, oh, man, this is another guy that I can learn from, that I can pick his brain and, like, you know what I mean? Possibly, like, you know, learn something from. That's what I wanted. You know what I mean? I was excited about that. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I I feel like I didn't get that love. I felt like I got a lot of backshaft. And the day that he slapped me was the day I was like, yeah, this is – yeah, never. You know what I mean? Because I, till this day, I still feel like he was trying to punk me in front of everybody. Because there's this, I guess there was this idea that like if you put your hands on me, that I wouldn't fight back. <laughs> like there, I guess that was the, I guess that was what he was trying to prove. Like I'm, a, like I'm a punk or something. Like I wasn't gonna fight back. And the thing, the thing between him and I, or the thing that I had said when me calling him an Uncle Tom. You know what? Maybe I should have not called him that. I should have maybe used something else. Definitely not an Uncle Tom. But I was angry. I was upset. And that's just how I felt at the time. At the time, I felt like he was an Uncle Tom. That's just how I felt. Now, I could have called him something completely different, but I was just upset. But a lot of people have to understand the relationship between him and I. It's I honestly, you put his hands on me, it's kind of personal. You know, you can say what you say. You can say what you say about me, but you don't just don't put your hands on me. And I kind of held a lot of resentment for him for that. And I think it all came ahead when all of that came out, and I just splattered everything on the internet. Right, which goes back to maybe you would have handled things differently. I I don't. I think people, some people anyway, they just kind of freeze frame things. And they don't care to know the story, like the context or the full story. Like, and I think that's what happened with this because, heck, you were being called all kinds of things on Twitter (laughs) by people giving you heat for what you called him. And like, two wrongs don't make a right. Um, And I mean, you grew up watching Jay Lethal, so it's not (laughs) something you could do. Um, so this has all been many months ago. Um, have you talked in like so? Eventually, WWE does send you release papers. So you, and and you end up signing them. You've done a couple indie shows, but you know now we're in the midst of a pandemic. But 
Um, have you heard from them at all since any of this? Like, have you had any conversations with anyone or is it just like a cut and dry severed relationship? I haven't heard anything. The only thing that I hear about is like when I get my like merchandise check, that's about it. And it's not from the t-shirt. It's from being in the card game that I was in for uh, the SummerSlam last year. That's the only thing. I haven't heard anything. Like, and, and at this point, I honestly feel like I'm not going to hear anything, you know? And it yeah. sucks because I, my, my mom, I, I, I feel in my heart, my mom so desperately wants me to be there because she always, she was like, that's your dream. Like you should, you know, you know, maybe try to reach out, maybe try to talk, you know, see, you know, like I can hear it in my mom's voice. She wants me to be there badly. And I don't know how to tell her how the business is and I and I don't know if she maybe knows everything that happened on the internet I know she knows people say mean things about me because she has approached me about it and my aunt has told her about some of the things that people say um but I don't I honestly don't think they care I don't think they care because if they cared they would have tried to fix it or you know what I mean? Like they would have tried to, you know, help the situation. And I don't feel like they genuinely care. And that's just, that's just me speaking honestly. I just don't think that they care. Well, I, and I think, you know, people are going to have their opinions and there's going to be people that think that, and I'm just speaking honestly, it, it, there's going to be people that think that, you handled this unprofessionally, so they shouldn't take you back. There's going to be people that think that they were 100% in the wrong, so fuck them. But I think what people should try to do here, and for me, it even if I'm looking at this from rather what I think about how you handled it or, or anything else, some of the shit people were saying on Twitter and like the attacks... Those are uncalled for at all. Like, okay, so if they did wrong and then you got pissed off and quit, that doesn't give Bill from fucking Detroit permission to fucking comment and call you every name in the book. Like, people have to understand that, like, people's family see those things, and it's just uncalled for. And I think that's like the saddest thing about society now is how people handle themselves on social media when it comes to things. Like it's fucking terrible. To like it's it's horrible. And being called a racist, like that was the one that really hurt the most because I I don't have I don't have any type of like hatred in my heart. I, I honestly don't, especially when it comes to racism. Like, I couldn't understand how I was the racist in this situation. You know what I mean? That that one, that's the one that really hurt my heart. Like, that's the one that really hurt my feelings, being called a racist. Like, here I am standing up for myself because of racism, but now I'm being called the racist. And it was just like, wait, how, wait, how am I the racist? What did I do racist here? You know what I'm saying? Right. Which... It's 
it, it's a shit situation, man. And it's a shit situation because all I honestly all I want to do is wrestle. That's all I want to do. Like, I don't want to be a part of no scandals, no drama, no BS, no nothing. That was why for years I never said anything negative negatively about ROH when people would ask me about them. I was always cordial, was always nice and polite when speaking on ROH. I never said anything foul. I never said anything bad. I didn't want any of that stuff to come to the light because all I want to do at the end of the day, I just want to wrestle. That's it. It's something that I love to do. It's all, like, it's all I know. It's it, 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 like, it's been a part of my life since I, since I was a child. And not only did I grow up wanting to be a wrestler, I actually did it. And I actually achieved a lot of things that I didn't even think that I could do. And here I am stuck in the midst of all this BS. And then I can't wrestle. You know what I mean? Like, it just, like, that's all I, that, that's all I wanted to do was just wrestle. And I don't think a lot of people, I don't think a lot of people understand that, man. Like, this is all I care about. It's all I know. It's all I know how to fucking do. I don't know how to do anything else. But I know how to wrestle. Yeah, I think that I look. I I think you're one of the most talented wrestlers in the world. So I I mean I I think you'll get a job again somewhere, even if that's not WWE. The the good thing about wrestling now are there are multiple places where you can make money, and I think that I think that you'll be able to do that if you choose to, if if that's something you want to do. Man, during that time period where, like, oh, I was, like, blowing up, and I was like, oh, man, I quit pro wrestling. Like, all that stuff was just out of anger, man. Like, I like I don't like to be that angry. You know what I mean? Like, I, like there's no reason for anybody to ever be that angry. It's just, it's toxic. It's unhealthy. It's not good for the soul. It's not good for the brain. It's not good for you. It's not good for people around you. You know what I mean? Like I always thought that I was uh, like a little, uh, a little, a little, a little light in the world. Not a bright light, not a big light, just a little light. And I always do my best to try to be a positive person. I always do my best to try to be a good person. And then being attacked by people you don't know, coming from all angles, all cities, states, countries, telling you you're wrong, telling you, and it's like fuck, dude. Like it's. Man, it, it broke me. It 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 really rocked me to my core. And I wish I'll be honest, I wish I could have did things differently. I wish I would have just turned my phone off and just kind of let things die down. But being so in the moment and just angry and feeling like no one's listening to you, feeling like like I felt like I during that time too, I felt like I was trying to like tell everybody something like my side or like trying to be heard and I was just constantly being ignored so the only thing I was like you're not listening you know what I mean like when I pick up my phone it's like you're not listening and I would just start texting and going off like this guy blah 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 nah, nah, nah. and it was like man and I remember just sitting back thinking about all this stuff and I was like man it's not me and that was why I deleted a lot of those tweets because like man this is not me I'm way more smarter than this 
Like, I think about things before I do things. Like, I just don't ever do nothing like that. Like, that's crazy. But I was just so angry. And I felt like I was not being heard. And I was just constantly being attacked. And it, it hurt my feelings. It really did. I think. I'm a, I'm a sensitive guy, too. And that, it really hurt my feelings. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a thing where over your life, you learn how to deal with different emotions. That's part of, you know, when it's part of growing as a, as a person. And unfortunately for you in this situation, you dealt, you, you, you dealt with extreme anger publicly and you happen to have fucking however many tens of thousands of Twitter followers. So while a lot of other people make their mistakes behind closed doors, they fuck up. They learn how to deal with those emotions in a positive way in the future, and then they learn, they grow, and then their life goes on. And with you, you dealt with those emotions. Maybe you did, like you said, you dealt with them in a negative way, but your job happened to be this, and you you lashed out and tens and thousands of people saw it, and you know, those people too, a lot of them don't know how to let someone deal with their emotions. So of course they have to attack you or have to say stupid shit. But it seems to me that you've seen that you've learned how to deal with those emotions and now you're moving on in a positive way. And I think when people see that you'll get opportunities again, that that's my belief that I believe people can come back from a lot of different things if they truly learn how to deal with those emotions. And th that's just my opinion on it. Right. And this wasn't even like a wrestling matter. Like this wasn't like ACH is upset because he's not being booked right. You know what I mean? Like this was, this was, this was some serious shit. You know what I'm saying? Like this wasn't your typical like, oh, he's upset because he don't like the way he's being booked or he didn't win the title. So now he's throwing a tantrum like this is some real shit. You know what I mean? And, you know, I, and I wish I could. I honestly wish I could have did things differently. And then, like, I had people I feel like I had people trying to tell me to use like mental issues as not as an excuse, but, you know say that's the thing like you know your anxiety or you know your depression you know you're depressed right like that's why you're outlashing you know to help to help like smooth things over and it's like man i'm not one of those people i don't come up with excuses for myself like i was angry that's i mean if i had to come up with this because that's the only thing i can say i was angry you know what i mean like i'm not gonna like go and be like oh sorry guys like mental health issues because people deal with that stuff in serious ways people like that's a serious issue and i'm not going to like publicly say things like that to help smooth things over this is not the type of person i am like i had a real life situation i had a i had a freaking meltdown in front of the entire world that's really what happened i had a meltdown i broke down in front of the entire world the only thing is the people didn't see me cry that's the only thing. I had a meltdown. And I think that... <laughs> yeah, and I think that it's extremely commendable that you can talk about that. I mean, it's... People go through things like that. Mm -hmm. You just went through it, like you just said, in front of the world. 
and you had to respond in real time too, which not a lot of people have to do. Like yeah. normally people can, you know, take five minutes away, take a deep breath and whatever, but like that's not what you're able to do in this instance. Man, I was just tweet dude. I tweeted out so much stuff. I said so much stuff. And to me, I feel like if I was to go back and take it all back, like, I don't know, man. I, this shit, it, it really, it really sticks to me, man. It really does. It really gets to me. Like, I went from working my dream job, providing for myself. I was, I don't, I don't want to say, I don't like saying I was at the top of the world. But I was, I was finally at a space in my life that I've worked for a very long time to where I was starting to feel comfortable. Like I was, I was, I was starting to feel like, okay, here's an upswing. Like I gotta, I gotta do these things and this things. And like, you know, I can do this, I can do that. Like, you know, I can get my life on track. Cause I've, I've sacrificed a lot for pro wrestling. And I know pro wrestling doesn't owe you anything back. And I don't expect it for it to give me anything back. But I've made a lot of sacrifices, and it's like, damn, man, like, I neglected a lot of stuff because I put everything I had into this. And I'm not mad. I'm not upset. I'm just, I'm, I'm ashamed of myself. Like, I'm embarrassed, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, and, and this is something that I'll never be able to ever shake. And it's embarrassing, like, my nephews, like, they, they always look my matches up on YouTube. So, like, if you look up ACH now, that's all that that's all that pops up is all that stuff. And it's like, damn, like, I got like, to I got to talk to my nephews about this stuff. Like, you know what I mean? And they got to read the comments of, like, people shitting on me, calling me a bad person and saying all these mean things about me. You know what I mean? And, like, they have friends that watch wrestling, you know, and. Like, what happened to your uncle? It's like, oh, wow. Like, I, I didn't realize, I honestly didn't realize how big this was, too. Yeah. I didn't realize how big this was until after. Like, all of it didn't even feel real. Like, it just didn't feel real. Being in that moment, being that angry, it just didn't feel real. I didn't even feel like myself. It just didn't feel real. <sighs> yeah, we. I mean, some of it definitely wasn't you. <laughs> and, I, I mean, we can attest... <laughs> I can attest to that. I mean, look, I mean, we can dive into this as much as you want to dive into it and we can stop at any point you want to stop. But like, even like your friends, like me and Vega had multiple phone conversations where like, we were like extremely worried. Like we, we were like, man, like this isn't, this isn't our friend. You know, like he, he just, something don't seem right. And Shit, me and him and Rook were about to hop in the car and head start heading towards you because we were like something, <laughs> something's not, something here is off, and it because we had never seen like seen you that angry, that upset, and it, it it was it was extremely difficult, and I for us, and we weren't the ones living it every day, reading the comments, and yeah, man, it had to be. But, you know, I, I think it's a huge, it's a huge thing that you acknowledge the parts in this where, where you didn't handle things correctly, that that's, that's a big thing. And I don't know, man, I, I, I know you personally, and I know what kind of guy you are. I know what kind of human being you are. 
and you know that that's all I can say. You're a good dude. I know that. Your friends know that. The fans know that. People who truly have had any interaction with you know that, and that's why I believe that you can come back from this because nobody. People who truly know Albert know that you're a good dude. You're not a fucking racist. Like it's, <laughs> it's it, you know, people know who you are and what you stand for, and that's why I believe you'll you'll come back from it. Yeah, I mean, I just I know I embarrass a lot of people, and most importantly, I embarrass myself too. Just, I just I, I'm just not. I'm just not used to this type of negativity, this type of attention, you know, like it's, it fucking, it fucking sucks, man. Like waking up angry for no reason, just like, just mad at the world. Just angry, you know what I mean? I'm like, in truth be told, it's all my fault. It's all my fault. Like I'll, I'll take the blame for this. It's all my fault because I could have easily just put the phone down. I could have easily deleted my Twitter app like I normally do. Like, I didn't have to go on there and say all those things, but I chose to say all those things because I was angry. And I felt like I needed to get a lot of stuff off my chest, and that's just not the place to get the stuff off your chest. Social media is just not the place. You know what I mean? Having all these people, like, talk about you like – Booker T, like, I ain't, well, I ain't standing with you. It's like, oh, wow. <laughs> like, oh, man. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, I, 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 I think constantly about, like, what's next. Like, I always tell myself sometimes, like, this could be a really cool comeback or really shitty ending. <laughs> you know, and I, I haven't decided. You know, I haven't decided on what on what I truly want to do. Like, it, it took my passion away. The thing that I'm most upset, too, about, it took my passion away for what I love. Like, I, I, I don't have passion for anything else but this. It was literally my life's work. Like, my it was my life. And once the passion got taken away from me to the point where I'm like, man, I don't even want to watch wrestling. Like, I can't watch it, you know, because so many mixed emotions come through. And, you know, I wake up and I'm like, well, what is my life's purpose now? Like, what do I do? This was all I know, you know. And without my passion, what do I do, you know? Right. Well, I think that over time, you know, that passion can come back. I mean, I... You know, these things happen, and then obviously everyone wants to make sure that you, like, so my, my whole thing, the second you got released, like, or you, you signed your papers and you could take bookings again, obviously, you know, we I start getting tagged on Twitter to bring you to Anarchy, and my thing is I want to make sure that my friend, the human being, is okay before I go, oh, hey, brother, come to Spalding and, uh, you know what's you know cause then I feel like I'm taking advantage of a situation because so I think that once you know the human being is okay, then you'll start working more and your passion may come back. I mean you like I said the, 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 you have 
thousands of fans that truly appreciate you as a person and as a wrestler. And I think you've had to unfortunately live in this world here where it's been 90% negative energy that it's kind of hard to see a light at the end of that tunnel because there's not a lot there when you're living in that negativity. But I think once things start being able to happen again and you're able to go out more, you know, that passion could come back. Once you're able to start looking like living in a positive light again, when it comes to pro wrestling, once it's positive again, you know, that passion may come back. Yeah. You know, that's what some people have told me, like, oh, you're just making decisions like during this pandemic, which isn't good. Like you shouldn't make decisions during this pandemic like that. Like that's like maybe when it comes back and I, I, I being optimistic, I'm like, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe that's exactly what it is. Uh, yesterday was the first time I watched wrestling in a while and I actually enjoyed it. Like I, I loved it. Like I was like, Oh man, I missed this. Like this is, Oh, I haven't seen this in a while. This is good. But you know, Whenever I get that thought of like, ooh, yeah, I instantly think back to a lot of the shit that happened. It's like, fuck, man, like, <laughs> oh, man, what, like, how do I get like, what, man, goddamn, you know what I mean? Like, right. that's, that's, that's going to be a stain on my career forever. Well, you know may, what I mean? Well, maybe, but it don't have to define your career either. Like, it. Everybody has pit stops and, and, and things that happen in their in their careers, but only you get to choose what defines you, and I don't think this has to define you. You have a body of work in Japan that's incredible. You have a run on the indies that's great. I mean, not that Anarch, St. Louis Anarchy is this fucking mecca of the world, but you help build this promotion into people respecting it, like, you know, people always talk about the three pillars of the original anarchy with being Vega, Fitchett, and Gary. The only reason you're not mentioned is that fourth pillar is because you were doing Ring of Honor and you kind of blew up right as the company started to blow up. But you were right there. You have, an, you have a huge body of work. This was a very public pitfall. But if, if you decide to come back... I, I truly believe it, it, this will not define your whole career. I don't think. Yeah, I, I mean, during this time, like I've, I haven't neglected looking for my passion. I've tried to find it and I've tried to find it with interacting with my nephews, like constantly I'm hanging out with my sister more. Like I'm, I'm doing things that like I didn't get to do because I was always traveling and I was always like, you know, willing to sacrifice a lot of family time for my wrestling career. So now I'm, you know, I don't want to say making up for those lost times, but I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely, um, being, being more proactive when it comes to like hanging out with my family and being around my nephews. Um, and I'm trying to like, re you know, reignite that fire that I had inside of me with them. Like my sister gave me this like three hour talk and she talked to me for so long and she was like, you can't leave. You know what I mean? Like hearing people tell me like, you can't leave, don't leave. You know, it, it, it feels good for me. It makes me feel good. You know what I mean? 
So. Oh, yeah, I can. Have a What's that? You have a plethora of fans that would feel the same way. So, you know. But I think the the, the important thing is what Matt uh, touched upon, and what I think your family and us feel is that, you know, if you come back, that's your choice. But just you know, make sure Albert the person is ready. Don't force yourself because anything. And that's it. Do you know, what? you're not on social media much anymore. I don't think I ever told you. My my brother is now a dad. Did I tell you that? This is out of nowhere, but uh, yeah. Is he really? Yeah, yeah. His kids two. His, <laughs> his kids oh, wow. two. Yeah, his kids two weeks old. I went over there, met the kid uh, Cheyenne. He has a daughter. Met her yesterday. Oh, Joe Jackson having kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow! Incredible. <laughs> it, it really puts a light on shit, doesn't yeah. it? Like old Joe Jackson. <laughs> and look, man, like you decide to come back, you know, fucking Spalding Hall will always be open for you to come to. Whenever, whenever we're able to do that. <laughs> yeah. you, well, I hope, but you may have a quite a long time to think it over, because who knows when the hell we're ever going to be able to do anything again? Twenty twenty two. I'll start doing highlight videos for it now. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you just start growing like this huge beard as the whole pandemic's going on. By the time you're able to come back, you have like real long hair, beard. It's been five <laughs> years. You, We're finally running. If, if, if you saw me now, I, I'm pretty sure at this point right now, I look really un, unrecognizable right now to a lot of people. I walked into uh, JoJo's house. And they, they all just stopped. We're like, whoa, <laughs> who are you? And I was like, oh, yeah, this is me. Yeah, this is me out here just growing a beard. <laughs> <laughs> a, little, a little man fur going on. Awesome. Well, we got to take our last break. We'll be back to wrap things up right after, well, no messages. All right, Albert, we are back after no commercial break. <laughs> uh so you, one thing you did after all these things happened is you deleted your Twitter. Um, so I didn't even I don't have Instagram. I didn't even know you still had one. But I, to close us out here, even though you know you don't really know what you're going to do yet when the pandemic is over, is there anything you want to say to the fans, people who have followed your career, and then we will let you uh, let you go. Um. I think for first and foremost, I want to apologize. Cause I think I, 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 I know I could have handled myself correctly during all of that, and I know I could have definitely um, been a little bit more intelligent, and and I could have, I I could have. I could have stopped myself. I honestly feel like I could have, but I don't, I'm sorry. I, I'm not even going to come up with anything, but just I'm sorry. And I'm and, and I feel like I just let a lot of my fans down, a lot of people down um, that supported me. Um, and if I if whatever happens after this, after the pandemic, I just hope people are are still as excited to watch me wrestle and just as much as I love to do it. Uh, and if they want to get a hold of me, you can definitely 
follow me on Instagram at ACH underscore world, W-O-R-L-D, ACH world. Um, you know, eventually I feel like I'm going to have to go back to Twitter. I don't know when that day will be. I'll, I mean, I don't know. Like I said, again, I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't know, man, but I'm sorry, (laughs) man. Um, well, Albert, I, I, <laughs> I just, I feel, I, I feel like I, I know I let a lot of people down, man. And that, that really, that hurts, that hurts the most. And, and I'm, and I'm truly sorry for letting you guys down, for letting everyone down, kids, male, female, fans, everybody. I just, I let them all down. Well, Albert, I uh, I appreciate you doing this interview. I know it was it was very difficult. Um, you know, I, I think one day it'll come where you're able to speak probably on a bigger platform than what we're able to provide here. But I appreciate you taking this time. Um, again, I know what kind of person you are. Uh, you know, you never let me down. Like you, you've always always been a stand-up guy i know who you are our fans know who you are and if you make the decision to i know we'll have you back in spalding hall as soon as we can thanks man i appreciate it man uh, i appreciate it it's been a long seven eight months yeah but nothing that i can withstand yep all right we'll be back right after this well that'll wrap it up for everything um Albert is gone. It is just Matt and I. We are standing outside. <laughs> yeah, we are now outside. That was a heavy interview, man. Yeah. Uh, not a lot. Uh, not a lot to really close out. Yeah. Uh, Patreon.com slash AnarchySTL if you wanted to become a patriot. Um, if you want to go into more of the Trevor Lee story that we touched upon. Yeah, that's all on there. Mm-hmm. Tears starting at five bucks. Uh, please subscribe to our YouTube Um I think we're going to put this one out right away, so if you're listening to this on Sunday night or Monday morning, remember uh, SLA game night, 6 o'clock tonight. Um, I believe it's myself versus Marty Bell. I'm, I'm not sure which one they're airing. but okay. uh, Or it's Buddy versus Shire, or both. Right, I don't know, but check that out. Please subscribe. Mm-hmm. That's about it. Hope yep. you enjoyed the interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Please share this interview. Albert, as well as us, really want to get it around and let people hear his thoughts so yeah yep and uh as always take care of yourselves first and we'll see you when we see you